Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. All right, what is up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. Uh, this time... Uh, we have a pretty epic guest by the name of Forrest Mitchington. Uh, but before we get into the podcast today with Forrest, I need to give a shout out as always to our epic sponsors. Uh, first of all, the boys at Nobby Underwear. Um, I realized recently that the magic of Nobby is when you hit the Goldilocks zone, which is where I'm at with it now. Basically, I kind of figured this out by going to Vietnam. We had a 10-day trip and we did 2,500 Ks and I needed a lot of underwear. So basically, I took, I think, 15 pairs of underwear uh, and then I was sweet for every day. I ended up washing some, but I didn't really need to. And that wasn't what made me have this idea of the Goldilocks zone. What made me have the idea of the magic of this whole knobby thing is I got home from the Vietnam trip and I went straight to Perth for three days. I had no time to wash. I barely had time to pack. And I had enough underwear. Like it just wasn't a stress. And I've been traveling a very, very long time. And I have been constantly in a position where I just never have clean underwear. Um, so made me think like, damn, this is, this is why you do this because it's $20 a month and you get a new pair of undies every single month. And over time, that amount of money doesn't really phase you. You're getting a great product in return and there's no, like it saves you time. But also what you're getting is over time, like that's just one thing that you never, ever, ever have to worry about again in your life. And I've just hit that zone with Nobby. And I just didn't even know that was a zone I wanted to hit until I hit it. Um, so head to nobbyunderwear.com.au uh, and you yourself can f- have this feeling of the underwear Goldilocks zone that I've experienced. Uh, and now I have experienced that. I never want that to stop. Uh, secondly, need to give a shout out to the homies at Boost Mobile. Uh, they're basically the best prepaid phone provider in Australia, hands down. Um, they've just done a bunch of new data packages and they've also just released um, a new plan where basically you just like don't lose your credit and you don't lose your number, um, which is sort of always like the downside of doing the prepaid thing. 
Uh, so if you're a traveler, say you're traveling to like a guy like, let's say Justin Brayton, who's like always traveling to Australia, um, a guy like Brett Metcalf or Chad Reed that's going back, back and forth. Chad has his number that he can always keep in Australia. Um, so you can uh, check these plans out yourself at boost.com.au and let me know what you think. Um, I love hearing back when it comes to, uh, to sponsor stuff. Uh, thirdly, need to thank the guys at Ridge Wallet. They have been killing it uh, for us. I uh, went to, yeah, like I said, did the Vietnam trip and it, it was pretty cool to, um, to stay light. Um, I was obviously on a motorcycle. Uh, pocket space was quite valuable and I just had that thing on me all the time and really barely knew uh, that I actually had a wallet on. Uh, you get, got, I had my phone case, had my wallet and you know, I really didn't feel like I was carrying that much, but I had everything I needed. Uh, you can head to ridgewallet.com, use the promo code GYPSYGANG, and that gets you money off your purchase and also free worldwide shipping. Uh, we've had a bunch of people buy these already through the podcast. I got a bunch of good feedback from them. Um, and yeah, I love the product as well. Uh, my guest today is, like I said, Forrest Mitchington. And he is he's a bit of a unicorn, the great man. He is a well-known shaper that shapes all of his boards by hand, uh, and he's also a real badass on a motorbike. Uh, He doesn't just ride motocross, he rides dirt track, he rides uh, rally stuff, he rides desert stuff, he rides flat track, he rides on the beach to go surfing, uh, and he's a part of this epic little crew that Deus have formed. Um, I've seen a bunch of his films before getting to know him through the podcast. Uh, and I don't know whether you'd say that Deus has like sponsored athletes. They just have like these individuals that embody the company's ethos. And I think that it doesn't get any more uh, suited to a guy like uh, Forrest. So really enjoyed having him on. Uh, Madchuk was in here as well. And he is a glasser from uh, from the Goldie, uh, shapes out of the glass lab in Tweed. And I wanted to have the two of them on at the same time, but the studio just sort of wasn't set up. But about, I don't know, an hour from the end, I said, you know what, I'll just get one of the mics off the camera, plug it in, and then give it to Chook. And we ended up talking about a bunch of stuff like the Transmoto 12-hour that the boys just did. Um, so yeah, this was a really fun podcast. Goes for a long time. Uh, it was like a bunch of different phases, you know, like kind of got like deep talking about different things and then the surf industry and motocross and then went into the event stuff with Day in the Dirt and uh, Transmoto. So we jumped around a bit. Um, it's a long one. So if you've got a couple of commutes coming up, this could be a good one for you. Really enjoyed talking to Forrest. Uh, we've thrown around a couple of ideas to do some trips later in the year. Hopefully that will happen. And we've also filmed a video with him actually shaping a board. We filmed that the day before we did the podcast. So if you follow us on Instagram at Gypsy Tales Podcast, you will see that film on our IGTV. Um, so yeah, thanks very much for listening. As always, thank you to our sponsors and enjoy the podcast with Forrest Mitchington. Just think of, how do I say your last name? Mitchington. Uh, that's what I thought it was. I was listening to a Deus video last night. Um, the dust built built out of dust or what painted in dust painted in dust yeah and i was like i heard the dude say it i was like fuck that just went straight over the top man yeah, he, so he didn't like, even get it right he yeah all right butchered a little bit all right cool yeah because <laughs> i was like it looks to me like minchinton yeah and i was like he did not say that so i was yeah i wanted to that, double check before i crucified that no one's been able to get that right 
It's uh, it's a unique name, Forest Minchinton. Yeah. Do you know where the forest comes from? Um, my parents are hippies, I guess. Yeah. Kinda. Your parents are cool as fuck. <laughs> I, watched, I went on like a bit of a YouTube, um, a bit of a YouTube binge, like watching some of the stuff, yeah. and yeah, it definitely looks like you grew up with some fucking super rad parents that were just down to let you be a surf surf grom. I mean, uh, that's kind of what they did, really. So carried it on and and uh we just kind of live that the life i'm living now is kind of what is an extension of like what we just did what as was. a kid you know so special shout out to madchup right now too he's uh he's in the house i wanted to get him in on this but i just sort of explained to the boys at the studio is just like barely functioning as it is like it looks pretty <laughs> on camera but it's just not that pretty in here there's like shit everywhere it's all smoke um, and mirrors yeah yeah it's just like we're just doing it for the gram straight up <laughs> um but i probably will get madchup on to do one of the supercross companions because he's quick little fucker yeah quick little fucker knows his shit about bikes and uh also likes to talk shit and drink beer like me so yeah get him talking about bikes and go for hours maybe one of the best glasses in the world for sure so if I, anyone hasn't seen mad chook's instagram actually go on just it's just at mad chook eh? yeah is it underscores or anything in it mad score yeah i knew there was a f- an underscore yeah magic <laughs> underscore at the end um so you two i guess that's i guess where we can really start is that you guys how did you guys become friends because you sort of come over you stay with chook and then you work out of the glass lab in tweed heads shaping boards um so is is that what sort of got you out here first or did you guys become friends through like Deus or how did that work um i think it was actually through instagram like we just kind of I seen his glass work just, you know, just through the industry, kind of see stuff. And then uh, we kind of linked up via Instagram and he came over. He'd actually come over to California to do some riding. Like uh, oh, okay. a, a buddy of his um, has a California motocross holidays yep, over there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he came over and he was just came over to do some riding. We linked up, went riding a couple of times. And then um, he ended up doing, we did a, project over there it was called mojave surfboards project we went out to my place in the desert and uh built the boards just like completely kind of a, just kind of it was like a raw just kind of getting back to like the roots of of board building kind of a garage setup and we we're like you know 150 miles from the nearest ocean yeah and uh yeah we did the cool little project and that was kind of what started it off and uh so now we've been going we went to bali earlier this year and then i came here first time in australia which was fun and uh yeah just kind of trying to just do little collaborations around the world kind of thing you know it's cool because like your style is you're a hand shaper from you you're not just a hand shaper but your designs and your outlines and the boards that you're making they're like an old school they're like a throwback to the 70s and the 80s and then you add that with the fact that you're like so we went and watched you shape a board yesterday and i was blown away because you're pretty much shaping the entire thing with a planer mm-hmm. and from the friends that i know that shape boards they would use a planer like as li- little as possible just because it's such a like a gnarly tool like you're dealing with pretty uh delicate foam and it's like use it as little as possible just get the bulk out and then do the rest by hand but you're you basically shape like you could probably surf that board without even sanding it like it probably obviously wouldn't be as good but it's like that's how close you were getting it and then with what chook does with his glassing and the artwork it's all resin so there's no 
stickers or inlays or anything like that so it's cool to see two dudes that are so young not only throwing it back to the uh, old school in terms of still handshaping and still doing art with resin but it's it's like it seems like you guys are taking it even further again than maybe what they did in the 70s and 80s yeah i mean um i think for both of us like and the reason that we connected initially was you know both of us not only did we like you know ride moto and stuff but both of our dads are shapers um Mm. you know kind of old school like both are sort of underground kind of uh shapers and um that that aren't necessarily like you know real famous or anything like that but uh been around forever and so i know those are that's my inspiration was for my dad for you know all the boards i've had all my templates are templates that you know i got from him that are from the 70s and stuff like that so he's been my my biggest influence and then I think, you know, for Mark, it's, it's similar in that way. Like from his dad, he kind of got learned, learned the ropes of, of all that old school shit that kind of, you know, we sort of, I feel like we've kind of taken that and try to just reinvent it and mm. mix the old school, new school, you know? And, uh, as far as like hand shaping, like for me, it was just like a personal, um, sort of like a, I'm, I'm, I made the decision like I wanted to hand shape you know I had a number in my head I want to do at least this many boards before I go to a machine you know mm. what was the number um I think I started out I was like oh I want to do a thousand boards damn you that's know? pretty crazy yeah it all all by hand like um it doesn't seem like a lot but dude that's a lot yeah it's a lot I'm about halfway there yeah okay so do you think that once you yeah i was curious if you've like hit that number and then you're like fuck it i'm not going back but yeah so you still haven't hit that number do you think that you will go to a machine at that point or is it just like Uh, it's just a thing that you do now because watching you use that that plane yesterday it was just like dude it did not take you long to bust out a board and i don't know there was just something cool about the way that you use such an aggressive machine so delicately and so much control and and it was it sort of reminded me of when i'm say i'm shooting moto and you've got like a 300 mil lens and it's at f 5.6 and it's like if you take a photo with that everything an inch in front of that dude's face and an inch inch behind his face is blown out and then you've got that dude coming through like the millville whoops at you and it's like you're just pulling on that barrel and it's like you've got to be so in sync with your tool and I, it really reminded me of that yesterday. Like you're adjusting the depth and the height and, and it's all on the fly and it's so quick and the, the way you're doing it, 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 like that's an old school artisan type skill to have. Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think uh, that thing just becomes an extension of your hand really, you know, like like you said, you do it, you know, every day, you know, all eight hours a day. You do anything for all day, mm. every day. Eventually it just becomes like, second nature and it's easy to quit on that kind of stuff like i remember when i first started like wes williams you, yeah you remember like verbmodo stuff yeah. like yeah so yeah. wes dude he is like a gangster when yeah. it comes to pulling focus and there's another dude that films mountain bike films called clay porter mm-hmm. and uh I ca- he i mean he's done everything um but he's another dude where it's like you watch him you remember that zaka station shoot with cole seeley yeah, it was like... Uh, when he was on Troy Lee Honda. Right, yeah. So he shot that. Okay. And it's like, if you go back... I mean, anyone listening that 
loves watching moto films like i think it's an under it probably translates pretty well too because i think it's like an underappreciated thing and it's like in movies there's like people that are focus pullers and they're get paid bank because it's like a crazy skill right. but it's like it should be good you shouldn't it, you're watching a movie it shouldn't yeah. be out of focus so it's something you take for granted and i think it's probably a, a similar parallel to with shaping it's like you just expect the board to be flawless right but behind that is like this crazy skill that is really easy to give up on yeah i mean i i honestly just i really enjoy the process like you know i've i've played around with with you know designing files on the computer and having them cut and Mm. i just it's it's a great tool and it's really like important to surfboard design and and you it has its place especially in production and performance surfboards high performance surfboards but when i you know finish sand a a computer cut board it's just i don't have to get the same enjoyment out of it you know Mm. where you like when you're when you're hand shaping it's it's sort of you get that like you you just get in this like flow state while you're doing it you know you kind of get lost in it in the machine it it it, uh because it's critical right yeah it's like critical and you you can't make a, a mistake so it's like you don't have a lot of room for outside thought right and you're you're sort of it's like you're running your machine you know how that machine feels like it's like a motorcycle you pull the trigger you pull the trigger or you you know twist the throttle like you you know how it's supposed to sound how it's f- like the vibration's going to be a certain way and like mm. you know what i mean like if it it's so it's got like this it's like when you attachment to it almost you know yeah and then you're like changing settings it's like you can feel if you're making your forks harder you can feel if your yeah. tire pressure is like you know and especially you get uh i imagine you're on a similar level to like what a really good rider would like a factory rider would be like a chad reed type guy of like knowing feel and you'll hear chad say like he said in the podcast like feel is the most important thing to him on a bike so it's like it is you do have that connection to where it's like you know exactly what it's gonna do yeah like there's i've like you know i grab my dad's planer and his is set up pretty much the same but it's just a different machine it's the exact same model maybe built you know a couple years apart like all those machines that i that we use are all built in the 70s for the most part yeah right but um they're sort of you know are they hard to get now yeah like they're expensive you know it was probably brand new i don't it was probably like a hundred dollar tool that you bought you know at the local hardware store now you go online like people sell them for 1500 bucks on ebay really yeah because they're just because they just don't make them they don't make them and they're sought after for like hand shapers a lot of guys like them do you reckon that a company would ever bring them back well, there's a company called Accuplane, and they've built sort of like a billet version of that machine. So it's like the same thing, but but um, just you know, a Does modern it have the version. Same feel or? I've never used one. Huh. I know pe- I've seen them, you know, but they're like four grand if you if you buy one of those. Damn. But um, but yeah, like I was saying, like when I grab my dad's and I start it up and I use it, it it's different. Like it feels totally different. It's mm. like the same way if I hopped on your bike and even if it's set up the same, it might feel you know it's just gonna feel a little oh, different. For sure, you know, man, it's yeah. like. But um, yeah, well, a, the, the, yeah. There's definitely um, like if even me and my brother, perfect example. Like we yeah. went through racing together. We're only 18 months apart. Rode the same bikes and ride his bike. I was like, what the fuck is this thing? Yeah. like everything even to like how the front brakes squeeze like right 
you know, you it's just so over time, like maybe you got a little bit of air in yours, maybe a little bit of water in yours. It's like that that shit makes a difference. It's all those like tiny one percenters when it's something that you do spend so much time on. Yeah, you get, you know, I'm attached to that thing. That's the money maker. Yeah. <laughs> How so you travel with that thing everywhere? Pretty much. I think like when going back to what you're saying about, you know, always if you know, will you stick to hand shaping, I think that's the hardest part is like traveling around the world with that planner i have like you know it's like a whole suitcase full of just shaping tools yeah. and then all my templates and and everything so it's you know it's a huge thing to lug around the whole you know around the planet not yeah. to mention excess baggage fees and all that kind of stuff yeah i was, but, um, I was that, thinking about that last night when after we were there i was like that's his planner and then he's got yeah. templates and like everything that you've got to take around the world because how, how long were you in australia for three weeks Damn, and how many boards did you pump out when you were here? Um, I ended up doing uh, 10, actually. Yeah, right. So, which, that's, that's not a huge amount, but this trip I was kind of coming just almost like a little bit of working holiday kind of thing, you know, just come visit and do some riding and sort of just uh, explore the the place a bit, you know, and, and do some boards while I'm at, and, while I'm at it and try and... Uh, offset the cost a little bit and yeah and because i mean it's crazy with shaping bays because they're all that blue yeah the light's the same so it's like you could be anywhere in the world like if you're in australia and stuck in a shaping bay the entire time you might as well be in san clemente or mojave desert like it really doesn't matter they all look the same right i mean that was really like the whole reason i really got into shaping too was like i was like dude how can i like keep traveling or like go somewhere and make money you know like Mm. And it's that was always the goal. So that's kind of what I've been trying to do is just build these, you know, find these shaping rooms across the planet where I can go and build a couple of boards, make a couple of bucks and just keep keep the dream alive. Keep going, you know, uh, with the with the um, hand shaping thing, like it's definitely there's a like I shaped a board with a friend that I didn't do a lot of the work like he did pretty much most of the planing stuff and you know like so i was just standing and kind of fucking around seeing what it was about but like i've got a connection <clears throat> i got a connection to that thing like i don't even know if it goes good like yeah. i'm so biased to that board that like i don't know it could be the biggest piece of shit like i've never even really had anyone else write it but i always go for that board so it's like there is this like special sort of connection that you have to it but then on the flip side of that is it's like how many people are surfing now? Like, how many surfers are there in the planet? It'd be like millions. So, do you think that the industry is at a point where it can't even support just hand shaping at this point? Um, like you're saying, if like every manufacturer was just, just a hand, hand shaping, I think. Uh, like, would the supply and demand be crippling? Like, how long no, would we be waiting I for think boards? The difference would be, and like how it was even it wasn't even that long ago where the machine didn't exist you know or it existed but not in really the way that it, it does now. yeah like like you know growing up i you know i pretty much spent every afternoon at the factory watching my dad shape and um it was the robert august factory and they had five or six shaping bays with five or six full-time shapers that mm. were shaping you know probably five four to five boards a day so they're pumping out just about as many as one machine would. You okay. Know? 
So it was just, it was sort of a, just a different, there was a lot more shapers, you know, and they were just ghost shapers. They were like kind of your local dude who, who shaped and he was just a production shaper. And, and, uh, so there's a lot more jobs for shapers back then. You could actually make, you know, a good living where now it's like, it's sort of, I mean, it's, there's a fraction of as many shapers as there used to be in the production world. So Does that it like sort of changed the landscape really. I think if there, if machines went away right now, like it would, it'd have to go back to that model, which it probably couldn't straight away though. Eh? Like, no, cause it, there, there, there aren't, them, dudes. there aren't like so many shapers. And this is part of the reason why I wanted to, you know, shape X amount of boards by hand was cause there's so many guys who've come in, never touched a planer ever in their life. And mm. they just get on and shape 3d or whatever, you know, Aku shaper, one of those kind of, um, shaping programs and you can design a board. Like if, if you're familiar with, you know like adobe illustrator it's really similar where it's like kind of you're you know just dragging and dropping and just punching in numbers and you could design something it's going to come out symmetrical at least you know and if you have any if you know sort of board design um you know insider just knowledge of of dimensions and stuff you could probably build a halfway decent board yeah so for me it was like yeah i want to you know sort of start from the bottom work my way up kind of thing you know because there's so many guys out there who have just almost you just kind of skip the whole skip 10 steps you know just go straight into now i'm a shaper because i you know had it cut on the machine and i don't know does like the industry lose something do you think with that like because i wonder though like there's probably two arguments for it because one side you'd be like well if we don't have as many good shapers then like the industry as a whole would suffer because it's like board design isn't there's not as many great minds and great uh like craftsmen creating boards but then at the same time it's like if you can build a pretty good board on a cnc machine and you can be like more creative in less time it's like does it get better or do you just get lost in the source in a way you know yeah i I mean the whole it's like an interesting argument right right like i mean the thing is like surfboard design's so young like it's only been you know just just think about the change in, in surfboard design from even the 1990s early 2000 till now like mm. it's completely different like in what guys are writing especially if you're talking just at the competitive level like the 1970s 80s there was like one guy riding a single fin and then you know, the guy next to him on the podium was probably riding a twin fin or like, you know what I mean? Like Mm. it was like, and a lot of the guys were shaping their own boards Mm. where now if you went to a CT event, they're all riding pretty much thrusters or quads and they're, yeah, they're all within a pretty tight. Yeah. And so I think in, you know, in, in that way, it's like, it's changed so much where like, it's almost necessary to have the machine for guys to like produce boards that are like really accurate and really precise and like, you know, just changing an eighth of an inch here at a time. Mm. Whereas it, it's, it's like the whole create back then guys were being like having, they were just like, it was a frontier of like, they didn't know what they were doing. Like they're making, you know, it was like changing so quick and so fast. And every guys were doing, you know, I think at that time it was so important to, to be creative where now it's like, they've just got it down to like, you know, mm. millimeters of difference in every board. So I don't really know. I don't It's hard to say where, where to go next. And that's not my, like, my market of surfboards at all. Like, mm. I make surfboards f- to have fun on, really. 
because that's just the type of surfing that I like to do, you know? Yeah, I've never, no, I'm not a great surfer, but I've never gone out and bought like a performance right. shortboard because I'm like, well, I'm just not that good. Right. And I'm not going to get like a lot out of that. I want to have like something super easy to catch. And then when you're on it, it'll like almost feel it. It's like riding a 125. It like, it makes you feel a bit faster than what you actually are. Right. As opposed to like going to blind like the best race 450 and then you get on that thing, you're like, oh, I can't fucking ride. Like right. I'm actually not good. But you get on something that like, gives you that feeling of like yeah you, yeah you're ripping but you know you're really not but the fun <laughs> factor is like right there you know which at the end of the day that's that's all that matters if you're not having fun what's the point yeah and the, the surfing stuff and i think it's the same with moto too like i don't think that james stewart going as fast as he's going is having like that much different of a feeling than you and me yeah really and i it's Surfing's probably different though because of like the scale of waves that you can be on. Like a a fucking groveler at Burley is not pipeline, so I think it's yeah. a little bit different. But in, if the best session of your life, at no matter what level of surfing you are, like the best session you've ever had is probably gonna feel as good as the best session Kelly Slade has ever had. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I wonder that. Like, because you you think about like James Stewart throwing a huge whip or something mm. or your guy you know your average joe at the track just kind of but a huge a huge whip to the average joe probably feels just as good yeah like his like, version of a huge yeah just, whip. Like just the clearing biggest, the double he's like yes exactly yeah <laughs> like it's i think it's just the because what we're getting is like a chemical reaction in our brain yeah like i don't think that your brain knows how big the jump was or how big the wave was but if it's pushing your limit and it's giving you like that adrenaline dump then it's like is it's just the same chemicals right right so i mean i don't think your brain knows you're a pipeline if like you're think a four foot burly like point wave is like heavy as fuck then it's probably the same mentality kelly going over the ledge at pipeline it's like this is heavy as fuck like i just feel like it's just your brain your brain doesn't really know everyone else knows that it's pipeline and something else but I don't think your brain knows the difference. And yeah, I think it's just think, stoked out. Yeah, I think those guys, once you get to a certain level, you know, it's sort of, it's all relative, right? Like, yeah. you kind of, like, you get lost in the moment and of competing or whatever. It's like, it's all, I don't know, the way it, you scale it in your brain, right? Like, as, yeah. as you get better at something, you don't, it just... That's true, eh? Right? Like, the better you get at riding or surfing the stuff that used to froth you out just doesn't right so it, it sort of it's like there is yeah like a, the ceiling in a way right yeah because i mean there's kids their very first wave I've ever caught they just caught white water and it could be frothing the best moment of their life 100 you know? and there's some other dude just got a 10 at pipe and maybe it's not as good as that kid's you know in that moment yeah just because he's it's, you're almost like not jaded but kind of in a way right like yeah and it's yeah it's just like what you have to like draw back on right but that's why i think that again it's like just chase the thing in competitive surfing it's like you've got to have like you're chasing a result but when i go surf i'm chasing just some waves yeah that are gonna like be fun and then i'm out there with my friends you know so it's like I, i've i guess that's been my mentality forever is just to to only have like those really easy to surf really fun boards and i mean do even like foamies and stuff like you have some of the best sessions ever just on a foam board yeah actually uh me and my buddy louie i went up to newcastle um 
over the weekend and we surfed it was like two foot on shore in the afternoon and we rode foamies with no fins just sliding out it was like the most fun i had all day like probably all week surfing and we were just you know fucking around (laughs) you know and the week before it was supposed to be you know it was like the cyclone swell of the year and i'm out there trying to get waves at kira and just getting smoked and like i had way more fun honestly on the foamy yeah and two foot on shore day dude you because i was watching last night you're a goofy foot too eh yeah does that piss you off when you come to goldie or like you're pretty solid going whatever no i wish i could go switch fuck bro (laughs) Uh, like that's like the biggest are you are you goofy or regular fuck see my brother's yeah. regular and i just like go out and as soon as it gets like as soon as it gets big here i'm like if i could go left on that yeah <laughs> i'm not going to run on that motherfucker i'll yeah. just be and like no one wants to surf with me too because i'm like let's go up, like that shitty beach break up the road yeah. like no nah, man at least firing. yeah it's funny uh, all the guys have been traveling with over the last like four or five years they're all regular foots mm. so we've been just we always end up going uh, you know it's like three against one we're going to the right you know yeah and i'm like so. Yeah, dude, I'm like on that program right now. It just pisses me off so hard. Um, so you got into like, you're like heavy into moto. Like, do you ride more than you surf? Or would, say if you lived and you had a house on the beach, but a track right behind it, what would you do more? Uh, it'd be 50-50 for you sure. So you've, you've just got the 50-50 program uh, running? I mean, I was always more passionate about riding for sure like i lived at the beach like i had to drive at least an hour to go ride Mm. so growing up like i couldn't ride every day so i would just go surf every day instead you know it just like the way i grew up that was just what we did like all my friends even you know i had a lot of friends that rode too but it was just you know that's sort of like in huntington it was that was just what me and all my friends like we went surfing no matter what we just would go surf every day mm. that was just the routine you didn't even think about it like oh yeah we gotta surf you know it was just like that's what you did there's mm. wake up go surf go to school maybe surf again like it was, you know what i mean there was yeah. but um i think because of that that's what made me like i was like oh i, I want to go ride so bad because it was like because i couldn't do it every day thing, yeah, yeah i couldn't do it every day i wanted to do it every day but i didn't want to i didn't, never wanted to like live out there in riverside or whatever yeah yeah you know, i had no interest in that but that's the right call yeah <laughs> yeah it's not that great especially compared to the beach but um i i think i've always leaned more towards moto like and it sure. probably it probably is because you couldn't do it every yeah day. like i'm sure if you lived at the track but you'd parents surfed on the weekend then you'd, you'd probably be, be amping to surf you know yeah i think there's I think, I think there's quite a few people out there like that i think that i've got like athletes or whatever that have gone to be like really great not saying that I did, but like, you know, there's a lot of guys that because it wasn't like, because they had to like work for it, mm. it was like they wanted it more, you know? I don't know. It seemed like there's been quite a few surfers like that that maybe live like 20, 30 minutes inland, but be, and because of that, they were like way more froth to surf. Well, you know, they I guess appreciated like, it more. Kind you, of could, thing. you could probably put Kelly in that, like Coco Beach didn't have yeah. crazy waves, and then it's just like he wanted it so much. Yeah, like you, you know, you're hungry for it. But, um, yeah, definitely lean more towards moto. Yeah, sure. yeah, because so you were saying yesterday that you really started trying to make money out of shaping to buy a bike so you could race. Yeah, I so I think is that was like pretty cool. Yeah, I I honestly started building surfboards so I could ride dirt bikes, which is kind of funny. But 
um yeah like once once i hit a certain age my dad was like nah, not buying you any more bikes you know like so did you always have a bike yeah since i was um i was seven years old my dad actually bought me an ATC, like a little three-wheeler. Yeah. Like a 19, I don't even know what it was. Does he know how fucking crazy that idea was? I know, it was weird because so he, he had bikes. Like he had an old, it was like a Yamaha IT-175. Yeah, I dude, I remember those things. Yeah. And uh, him and his two best friends, they're, they're like my uncles, but you know, they would always go riding on the weekends, go out to the desert and... They just like they did just they go, do, they didn't do track stuff they just rode nah, like in they like be riding in jeans and, and work boots mm. and like an open face helmet you know it was really just an excuse to go out there and drink beer mm. maybe shoot some guns and cruise around you know? not have anyone tell them what to do yeah you know they're like they're very much like seventies kind of you know back when you know when they were kids like to be a surfer was sort of you're sort of like a kind of a beach bum you know yeah kind yeah. of thing they're like really like kind of fuck the man kind of vibe you know that was a, that's always their mindset so it was always like yeah go out to the desert and fucking get away from everybody there's no one out there no one tells us what to do no cops do yeah. whatever we want but um yeah the first time i was seven and my dad bought me a, i think he got it for free or something i don't remember but took me to beaumont actually of all yeah, places okay. and they used to like going out there and they cruised like back then you could kind of camp out there it was like legal to ride and stuff yeah and we went out there, and the first time I was like crying, like, Ooh, I'm scared. <laughs> but then after that, like he got me, um, I think he got me like a TTR or something like that. Yeah. And then from there, I ended up getting like a YZ85. And then by the time I got the YZ85, I was like super into it. I started like found buddies that you know their dads rode and stuff, and we started going on the track. And because Huntington is still pretty like bro, really. Yeah. It's like, it's, like, it's a bro beach for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like, there's a ton of dudes that, that still have, like, the lifted trucks and the oh, red yeah. moto and stuff like that. It's the 909 by the sea. Yeah, yeah, big time. <laughs> well, it really is, like, because when I, when I lived in Temecula, I'd either go to Huntington or Oceanside. Yeah. And both of those, they're, like, not, well, I guess you can't really say Huntington's not, like, the, a wealthy beach now, but it's not, like, Newport or Laguna sort of thing. Yeah. But you, that's, like, the straight shot from the IE to get to the beach. It and is. that's what Oceanside was as well. It's just like that's the quickest one to get to. So it still was like I feel like you had a lot of dudes that wanted to still ride and like be in the Inland Empire but also wanted to be on the beach. Yeah, I mean the 55 like dumps you out right at Huntington, Newport, you know. So everyone goes there and it's like such a tourist attraction there. So it's like you get so much of that. But also before any of that, before the whole like bro thing, like it motorcycles have always been big in, in – Huntington, oh, but like in there the was culture like, there. Yeah, there was like um, Carlsbad had like a, a track yeah. as well. We and had then, Saddleback, so it was like where, twenty was that minutes in inland. So it wasn't in Huntington; it was like twenty minutes inland. But my dad always tells me stories, like when they were a kid. There's uh, where you know where Central Park is. Yeah. So at Central Park, they had tracks there. Really, when he was a kid. But that, I mean, you're talking just you know yeah. just natural terrain. Yeah. You know, so it'd have been like late 60s probably that you'd ride a mini bike around in there and stuff and back then it was like it wasn't that long ago that Huntington was just open fields and farmland like the 60s there was still mm. wide open well they've still got like oil drill like yeah uh, in the, the wetlands like, yeah the oil yeah I uh, mean the whole pretty much the whole city was built on oil like if you look at photos from the 1920s it was like the from the coast from the basically from Main Street all the way to Sunset Beach on the coast it was 
you know, oil derrick wall to wall, like next to each other. It was crazy. And then, um, so the whole community was kind of built on just blue collar mm. type of people, you know? So that's why it probably has maybe that like bro vibe or whatever. Cause mm. it was, it was really just blue collar people that, you know, probably yeah. rode motorcycles and, or, or they were like fresh out of world war two or, or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, like, well, come like there. Vietnam even. yeah, even after that, yeah. like even for my, like how my family ended up in Huntington was my grandfather was in the Navy in the Korean war. And then afterwards he, he was an electrician in the Navy and, uh, uh it was called, uh, I think it's called McDonnell Douglas, which is now Boeing. Like oh, yeah, which is right there. Right there. Yeah. yeah. So they moved there. Um, because of that, he got a job working for them really? as an electrician. Yeah. So that brought my family there. They bought a brand new house in North Huntington. I think he bought it for like $20,000 brand new. That's crazy. In the 50s. I'm trying to remember the name of the, um, there's like a little suburb in there that's right by DC and Boeing and all, well, we're, I don't know if DC is still there. Yeah. But, um, um Quicksilver. It's like, yeah. It's like all Hawaiian names, like Oahu Drive and all that. My yeah. ex-girlfriend's parents used to live in there. Oh, okay. So we used to go there all the time. I can't remember the name of that, what it was, but, but yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, I didn't think that Boeing and that, those companies, like I think Lockheed Martin even has something there as well as like a part of Boeing. Uh, Boeing. Yeah. But, I mean, if that's been there for like 30 years, then you'd have to think that that's a lot of people that that company would employ there. Yeah. I mean, it still is still there. Mm. It's huge. There's actually all of North Huntington. Um, it's all aviation, like manufacturing. Mm. They're doing, you know, there's private companies that do all kinds of little stuff. Like one of my best friends at home is family. That's what they do. They have, you know, it's a family business. They build different you know aircraft parts that's crazy yeah. yeah there's a guy um that i know through toby jesse jones he races <clears throat> he races baja and um that's who toby did the baja with the first time that he mm. did it in the truck and that's what he does like makes air- aircraft yeah. parts and like does heaps of shit for boeing that's why there's so much um like there's big that's a big money and all that Bro. stuff that's why if you go to Huntington, like there's so many blue collar dudes that you're like this dude's got They're a race truck ballers, yeah and he's got you know and they just spend money on like fun toys so you see a lot of that there's a lot of like off-road trucks and stuff and you know race teams that are built out of Huntington and it's a lot of them a lot of them come from you know that airline money yeah yeah that's crazy yeah I'm sort of like just putting all that together in my head I'm like that does make a lot of sense because I used to drive past buying all the time every time I went to a parents house yeah we'd like drive right past that that whole deal um but yeah so you started shaping right to or you started what were you doing? Like you're probably sweeping shit out and like, you know, ding repair and stuff like that to like make that initial money to buy that bike. Yeah. I mean like my, my, my dad was pretty much like, it was just me and him. He was like a single dad. So we, I, I didn't really have anywhere to go a lot of times after school. So I just mm. go there. That was kind of like my daycare, you know? So I'd go there and I, I started out just, I would just build, I'd take like chunks of foam and make these like mini surfboards and stuff, you know? And then, really? Like I would just like, you like know, a tech deck. Yeah. That's crazy. Just doing stuff like that. And then, um, um, I started kind of, I've swept up a little bit, but not like, not really. I kind of was just hanging around more than anything and watch the guys, you know, watch them shape and, and, uh, and they're all like a classic bunch of dudes. Like, mm. you know, I'm talking like Robert August, who's like, you know, from the end, have you seen the film endless summer? Mm. They're all like, you know, old school crusty dudes and that that era was like super 
you didn't just like rock up to a factory and be like, Oh, I want a job. Like they didn't, they were like salty old dudes, you know, they wouldn't show you anything. You had to learn the mm. hard way kind of thing. Like do your apprenticeship kind of deal. Yeah. And they weren't willing to like, they weren't going to like hold your hand or like, Oh, it's okay. You know, it was like, you fucked up. They're pissed, you know, <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. So as I got to a certain age, finally, my dad was like, you know, all right, we'll teach you how to do ding repair. I was like, oh, I need money for a bike. I want to go riding. He's like, oh, I'm cutting you off. Like you got, you're old enough now. You know, you, I was going to, I think I was going to buy my first like 250 F or first big bike. So he taught me how to do ding repair and I started doing that. And, uh, you know, made some money and stuff. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to make my own board. And like, so I shaped my own, my own board and then, uh, and glassed it. And the thing was absolute abortion. It was horrible. <laughs> what did you try and shape? I made like a, whatever I was into at the time. It was like a, you know, kind of like a shortboard. Oh, like so standard you, yeah, shortboard. Okay. That's I was, what you I was in You should have made something. Yeah, I should have like, made something. I was like, oh, I want, this is what I want. You know, I could. Even if it was like dog shit, it'd still work. Yeah. And the board's actually, it's actually all right. Like I, I still have it. Yeah, you got I, the first one? Yeah, I still have it. It's actually, um, it's down in Costa Rica at um, my stepdad's house. But I, I, I tried to glass it and like halfway through glassing it, the resin kicked off and the things, <laughs> you know, it's like, it was like, yeah, but it's pretty bad, but it still worked. And then I, I was kind of like, fuck, you realize how anything will work. The difference between working really good and just working is like, you know, two different things. But, um, after that I kept doing it and did a few more. And the next thing you know, a couple buddies like, Oh, make me one, you know? And then, it kind of just snowballed from there. The next thing and I know. what age was this, you reckon? This was, uh, I would have been about, when I really started shaping, I was probably about, it would have been, I was like 19 maybe. Yeah. So just after high school. And so you said you're 27 now. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I kind of had, finally had enough work where I just kind of didn't have to do ding repair anymore. I was just building boards. And a lot of them weren't that great, but, you know, my buddies were stoked and making them for cheap and just kept going just kept plugging away like there's a bunch of times i'm like oh man i shouldn't i should i should should get a real job or something you know (laughs) but uh every time i just keep doing it and then you know new new opportunity to do something else i just kept taking like oh you want to come over here and shape over here all right you know just keep taking opportunities and then it just made it forced me to get better you know and uh i I think the biggest one was that i went to bali and uh i met i kind of linked up with the dais crew in bali and and they're like oh you've been shaping boards we like your stuff or whatever and i'd only done you know maybe at that point maybe 200 something boards like oh yeah well you want to do like 10 for us i was like oh shit like damn i'm like yeah yeah i'll do 10 like in my head i'm thinking yeah i'll I'll get them done i'm like fuck i've never really done that i don't even know like what do i make like i never done like a or an order for a shop i don't even know what size range is and none of that but I just kind of winged it and just went for it. And, and, uh, but anyways, like that kind of thing, like really helped me become a better shaper too. I just kept mm. doing numbers and numbers and kept plugging away at it. And, and it kind of became a job, I guess, in a I, good way. I think that that's like the biggest thing that like all the people that you meet, all the people that I talk to on this podcast, they're like successful people that like kill it at what they do, but no one started as like, Oh yeah, you're fucking Forrest about yeah. shaper. It's like, Hey, Forrest, fucking do some ding repair. Yeah. And it's like, if you're willing to, I guess one thing is like, you've got to be doing it for the right reason. Like you have to enjoy it to start with. It's got to be something that you do, whether you get paid or not. 
Yeah. And like I've said on the podcast, I do this anyway. I fucking like this. I like getting to know <laughs> new people. I like getting to talk shit. But if you just do it and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, people listen to this or, you know, now more people. And then it's like, people want to buy my board. And now Deus wants 10, 10 boards. And it's like, they're the people that are successful. And yeah. I, I get asked for advice on shit so much. I'm like, dude, just listen to what like guys like yourself say just start in your fucking like we built this this could be a shaping bay oh yeah you know what i mean like if, you, be. if you've got yeah my my <laughs> but like you know it's it's not a secret to how you get good at something like you yeah, said you've got 500 boards yeah yeah i mean i think anybody that's doing anything really good like or just when someone's passionate about something you know, mm. it always shows through like in whatever the product is you know the finished product you can just tell when someone's passionate about something you know the product's usually better like in in every way mm. um, but yeah I'm still like super passionate about shaping even though like, I, I guess you know some like a lot of guys like shape forever and then you just get jaded, jaded. you know you're like oh, well, I, I think there's, there's probably a thing with the fact that you're so into moto yeah that it's like you can get an escape like when the shaping yeah. thing gets too much it's like you've sort of got moto as a thing to like lean back or take you away from that and then it can kind of re-energize you to go back into this yeah that's that's always been like i can't really have one without the other because there's been times where i was like oh i'm gonna i'm like super into motor right now i'm gonna go oh, i should just live in the de- live in the desert live out somewhere where i can ride every day and then i go out there and do that and i spend like you know, maybe a couple of weeks doing that. Next thing I'm like, fuck, I want to surf mm-hmm. <laughs> and vice versa. I'm sitting at the beach and you know, I get burnt out one or the other. I got to have that. Like I got to change it up. Mm. Like, I got to, I can't, I can, almost can't have one without the other. Mm. And that's like, dude, that's fucking yin and yang. That's yeah. That's life. You know, I yeah. think that that's a important thing for people to like, that's just an important concept in general is like, you can't have one thing without like you need offset in your life otherwise you just start like if you just fucking walked on one leg your shit would be jacked yeah <laughs> you know what i mean but i mean at the same time like i always maybe the reason why i never uh you know was like crazy successful any one thing was because i was always trying to do everything you know mm. but i'd say you're a pretty successful shaper like yeah you I make mean, a living traveling the yeah. world and the you've got like a deal with dais yeah you know you're yeah, I'd say you're pretty successful. I don't know, like, what well, else you'd... Like, well, what else would be your, like, definition of success? Oh, I mean, it wasn't necessarily success, but, like, you know, people who are really great at one, you know, at whatever the respective sport is, you know, like, say, a, you know, a James Stewart, like, there probably wasn't much else that he did besides ride. There was nothing else he exactly. did but ride. So, and like, then, having the yin and yang, and maybe that's why he's in a place that he's in now where he's, you know... He's in the sunken place. Right. <laughs> he's nowhere. He didn't have the, you know, the yin and yang. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, on the flip side, it was, it's kind of like, I just, What's just what, did it's whatever. What want, yeah. You know, whatever like. was fun. Like, I just, I never really cared about, like, I liked, you know, before I you know, grew up racing for fun here and there, but like, it was, I loved to, I wanted to win, but like, mm. I didn't really like, I didn't want to like chase a series. I want to be a champion. Like, I, I never was really, a, this was all about just, the lifestyle of like just enjoying life you know well i think that it was like a thought i had recently was 
I lived in the States for seven years and like I got to a point where I did a lot in moto. Like I filmed pretty much everyone and I did a lot of cool shit. And it was when, we, when I did that James Stewart scrub video and he's like dragging his fucking front brake lever on an up ramp. <laughs> I'm like, we all like, and the crew were like, every one of us. And like Garth Milan, who's like one of the best photographers on the planet for moto. We all just stood there and looked at each other. It was like the last shot we did. And then James rode back around and he's like, do you need it again? And I was like, I'm out, dude. I'm out on moto. You just dragged your front yeah. brake in fourth gear wide open doing a scrub. I was like, that's it? Yeah. What else do you film from here? But it was funny that I had that moment and I, I was really like, all right, I'm going to get into movies and I'm going to I'm gonna do like the Hollywood thing. And But I did just, it didn't, it obviously didn't happen. Like right. I didn't even get close. I didn't even work on a movie set. Did and you try? no no <laughs> not really like i didn't really want it right you know like i shot a couple music videos with some cool yeah. rappers and shit but even that, i was doing that and i was like i didn't i don't really want this but it's i feel like it's easy to tell yourself you want something right the idea of it that you want yeah. the idea but it's like you don't actually want yeah. the thing that you're so it's like romanticizing your head and you know i just there's like there's nothing wrong with that and I had I had a bit of a like weirdness about it. It's like, God, did I give up on my dream? And then I just I, it was super recent. I was like, that fucking wasn't your dream. Like you just wanted yeah. to come home and be with your friends, like it was and your family. It wasn't you really didn't want it. The dudes that are doing it wanted it, and it's like you can have the talent to do it. Like I feel like I could have gone and shot whatever I wanted. I feel like I still could, but it's like you don't. You obviously just don't want it that bad and that's okay but i feel like there's so many external pressures in like the life we live now where it's like i think we want stuff i think we want stuff yeah. that we don't really want just because it's sort of what you feel like you're supposed to want and you've lived a pretty like you've lived your own life like there's not many of you out there if you think about it like a professional shaper that still handshapes all his own shit has a little cult following with boards that you've you've got and your own designs and your own style and you're super into moto and you get flown around the world to ride motos as well so it's like i don't know man i feel like that is probably what you should be doing that was always like sort of the dream i guess as a kid i was like oh i just want to that's everyone's kid everyone's dream when they're a kid is they want to go do whatever they like to do and get paid to do it you know but um, I was I've always been kind of a realist. I was always like, nah, it's, I mean, the reality of me doing that is probably not going to happen. So I was mm. like, yeah, I always was. I was like academically like in school. I always took it serious. I did the good in school. I was like honor student, straight A's kind of thing. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna. I always saw myself like, oh, I'm gonna get a job, like a corporate job. I'm gonna work nine to five. I'm gonna make a bunch of money. Do you really rich. think that? Yeah, I was like, oh, that's what I want to really? do. Really. Cause like growing up, like we never had any money. Like, yeah, true. So like, at the time, I'm like, oh yeah, like my my dad was a shaper and and uh, you know my mom did like physical therapy stuff, massage, and you know they loved what they did. And we like had the freedom to travel and we went on surf trips. And like, in hindsight, I was like, well, that was the sickest childhood. My parents are mm. rad, you know. We like we just went on surf trips and went riding and did fun stuff all the time. Mm. So, but like we never had, we, I don't want to say we were poor, but like we didn't have much money, you know? And, uh, 
So as a kid, I'm like, oh, I, you know, I see my friends. I got, got mm. nice cars and nice bikes and their parents have a nice house. And I'm living in, you know, the shed out the back that my dad turned into a room. And it was a sick room. All my friends with all the money, they wanted to come stay at my house because my house was cool. And like, you know, we, yeah, the cool dad. Yeah, the cool dad. My dad's drinking beers with the boys in the back, you know. So I was like, but I'm always like, oh, well, I wish I had a nice house and this. House. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm gonna work hard in school and I'm gonna go get a job and make a lot of money and then I got to college and I was kind of like what did you study at college I started out I was like just whatever degrees gonna make me the most money that's what I want to do I'm gonna be an engineer I'm gonna be something and then like a year in I'm like fuck this, like, I don't know, this sucks pretty funny how quick that turns sucks. to shit yeah. yeah and then so I kind of was like oh like, what do I like I was like oh I like building shit so I did some art stuff then I started realizing I'm like, fuck, this 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 is school's great and all. Like I like I like learning like every day. I try and learn, you know. But I, I was like, all this this degree, all it's really doing for me is teaching me how to be a really good employee for somebody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I was just like, what do I really want to do? I was like, oh, fuck, I, I like surfing. I like I really like riding. I like making surfboards and you'd already made money out of it right yeah at, at that point, point i'd made some boards and you know i was making at that point i was making boards and i was just like i was like fuck i just what, what do i got to lose like it's now or never like let's just just try it you know see mm. see what happens and i just started like just building boards started i went out and like i always had like you know these dreams of like being a racer like i always wanted to, i grew up racing off-road stuff out in the desert I was like oh i want to be a racer or something you know so i like started like racing all the time i started building boards to pay for racing and then uh every time every opportunity that would come up i would just take it like someone would be like hey you want to go build do this you want to go ride here you want to go shoot this you want to go you know whatever it was and uh yeah i would just take it and then when um some friends of mine they've been going to bali a bunch and they're like and um this guy dustin humphrey who he's the one who started deus bali so mm. like one of the co-founders he is actually from Huntington Beach like originally and um so he had uh I'd kind of reconnected with him actually and he was sort of like hey we got this cool event like coming out in um in Bali it's called Slidetober it's like a I didn't even know what Deus was or anything he's like yeah we do like it's like one day surf one day moto like it's fun like come out have you know it's like a big party so my buddies were there and they're like come out so I like had a thousand bucks in my bank account, bought a thousand dollar ticket, <laughs> and just a week later I was going to Bali, and um, that sort of like was what kickstarted the whole thing for me. Like where I was like, mm. got there and I was like, oh, I can start like these guys are building boards, they're they're like riding bikes, or they're you know doing everything that I like to do, you know. And I just started kind of hanging with that crew, and and they, uh, yeah, you want to build a board? I'm like, yeah, sure, build a board, and like. Hey, we're, uh, we're, we've been filming this movie and, um, was that the Red Bull one? It, yeah. It was called it South, called? To South to Cyan. Yeah. Yeah. South to Cyan. Everybody should watch that. It's fucking sick. Yeah. Dude. So a couple of Noosa boys, right? Yeah. Oh, no, one dude's from Newey and one dude's from Noosa. Um, two of the boys, Zai and Harry are from, um, Noosa. And then did they have one dude that's Louis, from Newcastle? Louis was in, is from Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. That was a sick film. Yeah. Dude. And so they were filming the very last scene and it's um in the volcano it's like the volcanic sand dunes and they're like hey we're gonna we're gonna go ride bikes and it's a volcano you want to go and i was like 
yeah like <laughs> that's crazy so we went there and that's what like started off the whole thing and then that one trip turned into another trip turned into another trip and the next thing you know i was like fuck i'm traveling around making some money part of the fam yeah i was just like yeah i started like kind of kickstarted next thing i know i was like making some money you know building boards traveling with those guys riding bikes and before you know it you're like just too busy having fun and you're like oh shit like it's kind of what i wanted to be doing all along you know kind of just all fell into place it's crazy that the whole day is thing is like that is a company for you it literally is <laughs> like you couldn't have wrote that any better like it seriously everything that i like to do is is the brands you know it's it is the brand you know like from building boards to building bikes to just art you know like that's what i was doing in school fine art stuff shooting photos you know all that stuff so yeah it's been great they've been really good to me and like does it still trip you out yeah for sure like it's that, like that's actually real yeah it's it's funny but you know part of the funny thing when where how it's come full circle is um dustin like who i owe a lot of this to like he as a kid like he he started he wanted to be a, he was from huntington and and uh he wanted to be he was a surf photographer i don't know if you if you're familiar with who he is what's but his last name dustin humphrey dustin humphrey so he um i'm sure i'm sure i've seen his stuff. yeah like yeah. he he was staff photographer i think on surfer magazine at yeah, one time okay, and like sure yeah seen his stuff um, but yeah, he, when he was a Grom, like he would, like, all the boys would go, this is before this is when I was, you know, maybe seven, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. You know, my dad would have raging parties at our house. Like <laughs> every weekend there's a raging party at our house, pretty much like all the boys, like whenever there's traveling servers in town, they always crashed on our couch. You know, is that kind of, that was the kind of the, the vibe at our house. And, um, when Dustin was sort of, you know, graduated high school, he, they started going to Indonesia, him and the Turner's ryan and timmy turner who were surfers and he you know picked up photography and he was following his buddies and he was shooting them and um he'd stay at at my dad's house like in between really in between trips he's just crashed on our couch that's so sick As, you know he's he's just like you know maybe 18 19 20 years old and my dad you know he always he had dirt bikes and surfed and and he'd shape dustin boards and and uh then he went on to be a really successful photographer and and, and be one of the co-founders of Deus Bali and stuff. And so it kind of like came full circle where he was sort of influenced by my dad, you know, as a, as a kid. And then coming up, we got to, you know, kind of, we, re, we, I didn't talk to him for whatever that was, 20 years or whatever, 15 That's years. That's insane. And then reconnected and it was like, whoa, he's built this thing. It's like, you know, from a lot of the same, inf we had the same influences in a, you know, roundabout well, way. Like yeah. With too, my dad right? yeah. and stuff, you know, and. And uh, so then he kind of like took me under his wing in a way too, where it just sort of like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Like slept on his couch now, you know what I mean? Like return the favor after all these years, you know, to my, him, my dad letting him sleep on our couch. So it's, it's kind of funny how life works that way, you know? Yeah. And I was going to say like, you said something cool before, which is sort of what like I've always tried to live by. And there's like, dude, even I just went and did that trip in Vietnam and I was honestly stressing about doing it because Oh, I've just had like so much shit on yeah and it, my mom and dad did it last year and they booked it again now like dude you gotta go yeah and then my sick. mom bo booked my flight and was like just pay me back later and I was like I don't fucking want to pay you back for this <laughs> now like you just stitched me up yeah and uh and then I was like I was stressed before it because we were building all this shit and um dude I went on the trip I'm like as soon as I got there I was like you're fucking retarded like your whole life 
has been spent saying yes to opportunities when they didn't make sense and that's got you to where you are and like I've had friends where I see opportunities that come up for them and they just say say no and I'm like dude if it's not going to completely ruin your life never say no because you just don't know who you're going to meet that's the thing you don't know that one person you don't know that and that's been my all-time favorite thing about the podcast it's just like the people you meet right and perfect example is harry like harry the first time harry come on the podcast he was a fill-in for someone that canceled and i wasn't even like i didn't really i knew of him and i was like the dude's just a fucking crazy freestyle (laughs) maniac like he's not gonna be able to sit down and talk the three hours the dude's one of the best guys ever and he's got this whole nother sort of layer to him and then it's like you kind of fast forward and like this is in his house yeah it's funny how you know? it works yeah. and it's like you just you have to say yes to stuff even if you you know you don't think that that's where it's gonna be cause it's like it's in all of those crazy yeses that you say it's like I always would say to people that you know where a no goes yeah a exactly. no stops a no stops at the exact moment you finish saying no that's it it's over <laughs> that opportunity or whatever direction the universe had for you if you said yes it's gone shut off pathway yeah. closed never gonna happen again so it's like it's cool to hear you say that exact same thing with how it's sort of played out in your life i mean that's what getting a nine to five was saying no you know for me that was like saying no to the opportunity of life i knew exactly where that lead me to 30 years retirement 401k 401k my house yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know some like that which is great there's nothing nothing wrong with that if that's what you want yeah but i was like oh well that's i don't i think i would have just i don't think i I wouldn't knowing every day like where i gotta be like waking up like i gotta be there at you know nine to five and get home i sit on the freeway and i go like dude like i don't think I, i i would lose it i don't think i could do that like i love not really like i love the the uncertainty yeah the uncertainty of like something really good could happen it might so not generally like it doesn't always but like not just the thought that maybe something really cool could happen or you just don't know what could happen yeah. that's what keeps me going you know like that's what the beauty of travel too like you just, you're kind of like you don't really know like what to expect or what's going to happen who you're going to meet so that's that's just i don't know i i like thrive on that there is some people though that because i'm sure you had times in the beginning where it's like you were broke as fuck yeah like i remember being in the states and waiting at a gas station in like you know where fmf is yeah like in compton yeah like went to take dude i straight up went to take pipes back to fmf when i was working for jdr and i just didn't realize i didn't have any fuel in my car got to fmf (laughs) dropped the pipes off and then sat at a gas station. It was like a fucking Chevron dude in Compton for like <laughs> seven hours while I waited for my mum to wake up and transfer me 20 bucks so I could get fuel to go back home where I didn't have food. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, it, it is one thing to say that, that you know, like there's, you, you live for the, un, uh, the, like the uncertainty of it and it's not monotonous in any way, but it's like on the flip side, you have to be fe- prepared to yeah. wade through that sea of shit yeah. that can periodically come with that lifestyle. Yeah, that's I get that honestly, like all the time. Where well, there's people I grew up with, or just people like, oh, you're so lucky, like you know this and that and the other. Like, I wish I could, mm. I wish I could live that life, and it, it's such a good life. And I'm like, 
like yeah i feel super lucky but you know there's you got to sacrifice i just sacrifice a lot of the the comforts of mm. of being home every night or or this you know there's other things that you you know it's a give and take i guess mm. you know of whether you want of what you want you know i'm like you you, you know you could try like talk to my friends like you could do it too you know if you, if you really want it and you it want to travel that one thing yeah again, you just, right? but just most people aren't willing to give up whatever it is to mm. or they're afraid like they you know like oh i'm not gonna get a paycheck every week and or you know that there's so much like uncertainty and a lot of people are just afraid of that like they don't they can't mm. deal with they they need that stability you know because it's the way i live it's super unstable like i don't know necessarily if i'm gonna how much money I'm going to make every month or whatever, you know, so you just kind of wing it and mm. make it happen. But, but the, for me, that's, like it's I said, so that's worth it. In that's, the end, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, you know, part of the, the fun of it too, almost, you know, just kind of making it all work, living on the, like by the seat of your pants kind of thing. <laughs> but I mean, it, yeah, just, it isn't for everyone. No, like, it, it definitely gets sketchy at times. For sure. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not the easiest, but I wouldn't change it. Like, mm. You know, if I, if on the flip side, like, oh, if I had all the money in the world and you probably I had, do the same thing. Yeah. Or, you know, it wouldn't, I don't know if I, if I had all the money in the world, but I couldn't do what I, what I do mm. now. I don't know if it'd be worth it. Mm. If I had all the money in the world to sit at, in a house somewhere and go to office every day, like, what good is that? Mm. If you don't love what you're doing. Fuck. I wish I could remember who it was that oh it was casey neistat have you ever seen any of his stuff no dude he's like the dude that invented the vlog he's a pretty cool guy but he um he posted a video on youtube and i think if anyone wants to search it it's like uh rich versus poor or something like that casey neistat but um he said that there's like when people say like oh money can't buy happiness yeah he's like well if you're super broke you got a baby that you can't buy diapers for you've got rent you can't pay you've got a car that has no fuel in it then money literally can buy happiness right in terms of like what can solve problems that are making you unhappy essentially but it can't necessarily buy you happiness so it's like i think people need to shift the way they like i think it was a really good way of explaining it is that money can't buy you happiness but it can fix problems that make you unhappy sure but it's like once you get to that like you said say i've got all the money in the world but then it can't buy happiness right because happiness doesn't come from that like you might have all your problems taken care of but they're problems that can only be solved with money like meaning and purpose you can't go to costco and buy a super big pallet of meaning and purpose right you have to have something that gives you meaning that gives you purpose and that's something unfortunately that you have to figure out but it's like if you're just broke as fuck your whole life and you're barely making ends meet like when do you get time to sit down and figure out what the fuck you're doing it for like what purpose is something that it's like a luxury to think about right you know you're not you're not thinking about what's my purpose what's the meaning and what's meaningful to me when you're just working so hard just to get by so it's like you know that you have to i think you have to be careful when you say not you personally, but when you say that, like, oh, money can't buy happiness, right. it's like it can, it can fix like a lot of sure. shit that's fucked in your life. Yeah. But you are going to get to a point where all those problems are taken care of, and then you're still going to be left with that discussion with yourself of like, why do I do this? It's all about balance mm. and <laughs> everything in life, really, you know? 
but uh uh my dad always just told me he was just like you only i only need to make enough money to pay the bills and have he always called them like fun tickets have enough fun tickets mm. to go do what i want to do anything beyond that i was losing my freedom to do what i want to do you know i'm having to work really hard and give up you know all that fun stuff like really what he was just i feel like he was always just trying to tell me like just just have the balance you know Mm. between what you want to do and having enough money to live a decent life you know well we were kind of talking about that about like paisel or like these big shapers to where it's like paisel had like his factory in in oahu and then john john florence becomes like the best surfer ever and then all of a sudden he's gone from being a pretty unknown dude to now like half the WSL surfing his boards every single dude in the surf snapper regularly wants one of his boards like it's just become this global thing but it's like you'd be interested to know whether or not that's better than it was before because say like how many if you just work in a shaving bay for an entire week how many boards can you shave um if you go like pretty flat out if I'm hand shaping I want it I can do five a day is about that's pretty much like the maximum. I mean, you could do more, but like five a day would be a full eight to ten hour day. So, so you figure twenty, twenty or twenty five a week would be like a huge week. Yeah, you know. And I mean, how many boards would like Paisel be pumping out a week now? I have no idea. Mm, be like a lot more than twenty five. I would. I mean, it's man. It's it's such a it's such a weird industry, you know. Like, because it doesn't necessarily mean. I think. It's just more, more money, more problems kind yeah, of thing, yeah. you know? That's what I'm That's yeah. what I'm thinking. It's yeah. like, say, you know, you go from making 25 boards a week. I mean, he was probably, I don't know, but I'm guessing he was big enough before the John John thing right. exploded he, to where he probably had like a couple glasses, a couple sanders. And so, I mean, he's probably making more than that anyway. But it's like, even then you add a couple sanders and glasses yeah. and then you got to get a bigger factory and then you got to buy more blanks and then you're carrying more stock so that you can keep the turnaround going it's like it really is it becomes like a machine that almost takes on like a life of its own and it's like do you work for yourself or do you work for the company that you own yeah i mean so many of those guys they get you get like you become married to the machine you know like you Mm. you get stuck in it and you're like you can't now now you're there's an obligation to produce you know whether it's a 100 200 boards a week just to feed the machine you know mm. that's without even making money where like and you're just complicating your life and in, in in a lot of ways you know or for someone like him like it could be you know he could be making 200 boards a week now but he's like i'm not really making that much more money mm. and now i got way more stress and i'm here every day and i don't surf anymore and your boards are under a microscope by like the yeah. entire world. And he's like, oh, this this sucks, you know. <laughs> it was way better when I was just shaping boards out of my garage for my buddies and and, and again, the local this is guys. speculating, like we right. don't know. But we're I'm just not thinking, even talking yeah, about yeah. Pizel yeah, particularly, yeah. but just in general, like, I've yeah. seen that my whole life. Yeah, and, yeah. And that was one thing I used to always tell my dad. I'm like, dude, why don't you let's do our own factory? Let's do like mm. we could do. It, we could go big, you know. Blah, blah. And he'd always be like, no. Nah. I'm like what why you know you can make so much more money and just like he that's the thing it was for him it was always just like you know he he just saw that you know after 40 years in the industry he's seen how many people do that and it was like better off just staying right here and 
and you know so that's kind of the approach i've had like just try and keep it small and tight and and just focusing on you know everything being handmade and 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 sort of it's you know it's a small like niche really what mm. i got but it, it's easy control and 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 i don't know that going big would that's not i don't think in the end that it would make me happier just kind of complicate my life more you know so for someone like like the Pizels of the world I, I mean I don't know there's so few guys building surfboards who are, who are making really good money you know mm. from the outside you're like well that brand's huge they must be crushing it but when the you know profit margin of surfboards are like 30% or something and there's you know it's a huge investment to have a factory and employees and all the materials and then you know marketing and to make 30% margin on a, on a product that's like any other product, you go to China and, you know, people are making 100%, 200% margin on something. Big time. And this is a handmade, handcrafted, you know, very specialized thing and you don't make any money. It's like a labor, it's a labor of love, really, mm. you know. So, I don't know. It's like, if you're getting into surfboards to make money, you're getting into it for all the wrong reasons. If you want to make million dollars in surfboards you gotta start with two million yeah yeah true, right? <laughs> it's probably a lot easier just learn yeah. some good stock market shit yeah you're way better off doing something else if you want to make money um how was it we talked about your like kind of growing up in costa rica what was that whole experience like yeah i mean can you speak spanish because of yeah that? fuck yeah, yeah that's sick yeah like i just my parents um they actually went to costa rica on their on their honeymoon and um is that where they made you uh, I don't know. I don't Could know. be. Trying to, I never really thought about it, to be <laughs> honest with you. But, um. It's probably weird to think about, really. Yeah, yeah. That's some weird I try not to think right about now. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the bad beach. visual. I'm bad visual. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, my mom, you know, my mom was a surfer, and, and my dad, obviously, surfer, shaper. And so they, that's how they met and stuff. And then they went to Costa Rica on a surf trip slash honeymoon. And, um, they fell in love with the place. And then shortly after that, um, yeah, they decided they wanted to move down there. And, and so, yeah, like, I mean, I was pretty young, um, you know, just a year, a couple of years old. And, um, yeah, pretty much was down there almost full time, like the first you know, five, six years of my life. And then, um, do you still remember much of it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, cause I didn't move away. I, I just back then, like where we lived in this place called Tamarindo in Northern Costa Rica and it, back then it was just a little fishing village. Like there were, there were surfers there and there's a couple hotels, a couple dirt roads, you know, it was, it was really like, there was nothing there where now it's turned into this huge, like, you know, tourist town, the biggest, one of the biggest tourist towns in Costa Rica. Mm. Is how but, far is that from the volcano? There's a, there's a few volcanoes in Costa that Rica. That one that we did the Fox shoot at. Um, cause I didn't really pay that much attention. So that's, to like that's the central. Name. That's the center. That's that might've been, um, Arinal. Was that no, a Vulcan? I think they call it. Okay. Well, Vulcan is, um, volcano in Spanish, but it would have been maybe, I don't know which one it was, but I believe it's the one it's, it's in the central okay. Valley. So it's, it's up there like at the capital near the capital. Yeah. Of Costa okay. Rica. I don't, I just remember we landed and then got in the fucking sketchiest van I've really? ever been in. <laughs> And then we stopped on the side of the road and because none of us had eaten. Yeah. And then I ate cow nuts. Really? fried cow nuts on the side Never of the road. Never had that before. The dude was just like fucking laughing at me <laughs> like crazy hard. The bus driver like was the only dude that spoke <laughs> yeah. dog shit English. Right. And then no one else is like, 
everyone's like, no, I'm not eating that. They just got like crisps and, and like chips and coke and shit. And I was yeah. like, no, 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 I'll eat, I'll, I'll eat like the local food. And then there was like these, I thought it was like, uh, like just meatballs. And it was just this dude, and they were like laughing, handing it to well, me, and I, I kind of were, I guess. Right? Yeah, they were meatballs, <laughs> but I should have known. But I got stitched up fucking yeah. hard. And then, like after I ate him, the the bus driver he could barely speak English. Was like, was it good? Was it good? And I was like, that was alright. <laughs> like, I wasn't like pumped on it. And he was like, he was like, ha ha ha, big nuts, big nuts. And I was like, what do you mean big nuts? And he's like, he's like, oh the cow, big nuts. And I was like, oh. That's what I just say. Oh, that was fucking why. That was pretty weird. <laughs> but yeah, so I didn't pay much attention to like where, where we you were, were actually, where we were at. Cause I just, I just didn't really understand. Yeah. It was a fucking yeah. sick trip down the country. It's, it was incredible. It's a beautiful place, beautiful people. And it was such a great place to grow up. Like I was, like I said, we were, where we were, it was just, there was nothing to do, but really but surf, you know? So mm. spent, you know, pretty much my youngest memories were down there. And then, um, my parents ended up splitting up. My dad went back to, to Huntington. Um, and then because it was so rural back then, there was no school, like there was no schools really. Like I had, to, I would have had to have driven like an hour every day each way just to go to school. Mm. So, um, my parents decided like, you know, my mom stayed in Costa Rica and she was, they're like, Oh, you know, go live with your dad, go to school. And it was just a better, it's just better, you know, for education wise and stuff. And so I did that. And, but every, you know, literally every holiday, like school holiday, like the day I got out of school, I was straight straight on a flight to Costa Rica until like every Christmas and summer break, everything. So I spent, you know, at least whatever, four months out of the year down there. It's got to be still a pretty cool way to grow up though. Like obviously yeah, it, was it sucks awesome. when like your parents break up, but. You know, like, yeah, it was always good. Like my parents were always, they're always like cool friendly and cool yeah. and, and they both you know went on to have you know other partners after that for like my you know my other parents and um so it was great dude i was i would be in huntington beach most you know majority of the year going to school and riding surfing and then spend my summer breaks in costa rica surfing couple, you know there's times when i had bikes down there and be riding and stuff and it was rad because there was because it was like so rural and stuff and there's there's no cops or anything down there in Costa Rica like where in Tamarindo there was it was just nothing so we could like ride our bikes down you know down the main street and stuff you know it was cool it was rad like you didn't it was the best place to grow up you know you'd just be a kid play in the dirt go surfing ride bikes it was awesome and you kind of it was also like when you see you know, you, you grow up around a, a, a different culture and, and you almost see, uh, how different ways that people live, you know, like people in Costa Rica, they're super happy. And like, there'd be people that I know that like, like my friends who they had dirt floors, you know, yeah. like it'd be a humble little house. There'd be six people living in a little two bedroom house and they had dirt floors, but they were the, the cleanest dirt floors you've ever seen. And their houses are, you know, they're always like painted bright colors there and stuff. And they'd have a perfectly manicured lawn. And they're super poor, but they're super happy people, you know, super positive. And I don't know, it just, it kind of gave me a different perspective mm. on life almost of like about just, you know, how to approach life or being happy. Like you didn't, you don't need like a big house and a brand new car to be happy. Like I've seen these people with, you know, they don't even have shoes or <laughs> anything yeah. really. And they're like the happiest people I know you know but yeah i was couldn't ask for a better place to grow up for sure 
yeah costa rica was the first place that i went to that would be like a third world country right. and when we went like that card that van ride all the way through like we just went tiny roads through the countryside and all i noticed man was these houses that were obviously super poor mm-hmm. and every lawn was so nice and obviously it's like a tropical climate so that shit yeah. just keeps growing and growing and growing every single house it seemed like there was a guy out the front with like a machete yeah just like cutting down all the long grass <laughs> then he'd be mowing the the lawn and all the kids are out the front playing soccer and everywhere we went it was just like really 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 nice people and i was taken back by that in a big way because of like how happy they seem to be but like i was saying like off air when we sort of grew up in like the aboriginal communities it just didn't seem like people were that happy like right. but i guess that with those communities there's like a big time uh western like influence in their unhappiness if that makes sense right which isn't sort of the case in costa rica it's like it's still their culture well i i mean so many like you know geopolitical yeah different factors that go into all that but like with costa rica you know they they really there wasn't any like major in the history of the country there was no like major war there was no war really no like real you know tragedy that like hit the country they don't yeah. they don't have an army like they're completely neutral they have no military that's crazy yeah um and the country costa rica stands for rich coast is what it means and it's because you can like everything grows naturally there's fruit just growing naturally so you could have a piece of land have some chickens and you could grow all your own food so no matter how poor you were you could like survive off just yeah. your land you know it's such a so it's like one of those places where people were no one was starving really you know what i mean like there's no like war there's no like they're lucky in that like the leaders of the country have always like had the country's best interests in mind yeah there's like always like you know corruption in in some form but all government has that yeah even here america or wherever but um so yeah i think that's why the people are so happy like they never know like you you go to nicaragua just to the north and Nicaraguans are great people, but they've had so much civil war and so much bad stuff with dictators and stuff and, and that they've experienced so much gnarly stuff that there is a like this element to the to Nicaragua that's like kind of it's just gnarlier. Like they've, yeah, they've it has experienced like, you feel that unrest. Yeah, like you know, they've had so much unrest. Costa Rica, you know, just you know, just their bordering country, it's like it's completely the opposite. Like it, it's crazy. It's like sort of this almost magical place because of that. Cause it's got this like, just, it's like, it's almost, it's been somehow avoided <laughs> all the bad stuff in the world. In some ways. I didn't really think of that. Obviously I didn't know the background, but yeah. it sort of, it feels like that there. Yeah. We, we were there too. We rode through, uh, what's the capital called? San Jose. San Jose. Yeah. So we rode through, we drove through San Jose in the bus and the soccer team had just won like a big tournament or something it was like some south american tournament and we drove into the city and i was like god damn there's a riot like this is gnarly (laughs) and i I didn't know what to expect out of the country at all but it turns out the soccer team just won 
And like, man, we're riding through the Everyone city. Everyone's just getting and wasted. People were on the roof, <laughs> like driving their cars down the main streets of San Jose. And yeah. there's like everyone on the roof with like flags and everywhere. We we ended up opening the windows to the bus and we were just like high fiving everybody. Like it was such a sick experience and it was it was cool. We we walked through like the markets and stuff one day, but just that whole place we went on like a radio station oh really and like everyone was just super super cool that and I, it was cool. just it made me really want to go back and it's like even like hawaii that hawaii doesn't even have that nice of a vibe right like there seems like there's unrest and there is unrest there sure. there is like a westerners versus you know hawaiian kind of thing but yeah yeah i just never got that vibe in costa rica at all yeah i mean Hawaii definitely had that, you know, where they were, people came in and destroyed their culture, you know. Mm. And yeah, Costa Rica somehow that, that that just never happened really, you know. But um I think uh there I think the biggest thing is is their culture they they really uh like it's they're they're really progressive like they're and their leadership has always been really progressive like i know right now i believe they're 99 percent um powered by renewable energy so like dude i actually read that somewhere yeah. recently yeah yeah so they're 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 always like right at the top of the the world's happy index of being the happiest country in, on the planet um because of of their diet that they're have one of the highest i think at one point they had the highest life expectancy of really? any country. Yeah. Because they, you know, they, they work, they're out there working fields and stuff and they're eating, you know, the food they're growing from the planet, you know, like from the, it's, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's like all the way that we all should be living, I guess. In mm. some way you can take a lot from, from, from that place. And I know I have with, with how I, you know, kind of structure my life anyways, or I try to. But, um, that obviously had a pretty big impact then, like growing up there. Did it, was it, did you ever have times where like you'd go back to school from the like holidays and then other kids would be talking about random shit and you're like, damn dude, you should see yeah. Costa Rica. Did it keep you level in that way? Yeah. Do you think? Definitely grounded me for sure. Mm. Especially I grew up in Orange County, which is probably one of the most pretentious places on the yeah. planet. You know what I mean? Like I love, I love it there. Like, They're I love so California. bad that people that live in Newport don't even say they live in Newport they just say they live on the peninsula yeah that used to fucking bug me so bad I'm like <laughs> you just live in Newport bro like yeah. I get it's a peninsula we all know it's a peninsula yeah just call it Newport yeah so you know it it definitely and I don't know it was, it was a good it was probably the best mix I could have had really of, yeah. of two different worlds and um it was it was cool like when growing up like it was it was it was always separate like i had california and i had my friends there and yeah someone would come down to costa rica but i kind of had like two different worlds mm. and um i always wanted to like connect the two somehow you know like because they're, they're pretty close you know it's like a five mm. hour flight it's pretty close and uh in 2013 i uh i finally did that i me and a buddy we we got this uh 1987 toyota 4runner we loaded up we put up my dirt bike at the time on the back and we drove all the way from from huntington beach all the way down to the bottom bottom part of of costa rica dude and, that's heavy yeah that was definitely 
the best trip of my life, hands down. And probably like, like oddly enough, that was probably like the cheapest trip I've ever done. Like in terms of the amount of ground we covered and like what we saw and the places we stay. But because we were just driving and camping, like we, we did the whole thing. It was really just costing us like fuel and food. Mm. But I got to like finally connect like my the two worlds together and and uh yeah that was probably that had to be like the best trip I've ever done did you like document that at all or uh not really i took some you know just, just some photos, photos and yeah. stuff you know that that was sort of i had this big dream to do like oh i'm gonna make this big production out of it mm. but as you know it fuck, takes a lot of work to i was do. gonna say it's, <laughs> a, it's no joke we were too busy surfing and having fun like you know it's it's, it's a hard mix eh? like even yeah. in vietnam or like we're about to go to new zealand to do crankworks and it's like we got all this camera shit and we're gonna like make all these videos and stuff and it's like we we sort of did that in vietnam but it's lucky because toby was hurt so i just gave well toby had his camera and uh, i started filming a bit and i was like you know what fuck this toby's filming like i'm just gonna ride and, cruise <laughs> and if the video is not cool it's not cool like because it does take away from the experience but at the same time we're living in a pretty crazy time to where anybody can put something on YouTube. Anybody yeah. can document something that's special like that trip and it can inspire people. Like I've, I watched that South to Cyan yeah. film that Deus and Red Bull did. And I was just like, fuck, I need to book a trip. I have to book a trip because it came through like what you guys experienced over there. It came through to me and I wanted to, have a similar experience and take what you guys took from it but at the same time it's like you know if you are just only documenting shit it sort of takes away from that experience yeah that's that's the thing i i struggle with like you know because when you go on trip and you to document all that it's it it's like it's as you know like we're saying it's a lot of work like it becomes like it almost you lose the like fun part of it you, ch- you try not to but somebody like fuck yeah let's set up the shot and then do that you know it's like you know if you catch yourself getting jaded like fuck i don't want to do this This sucks you know yeah. but then you kind of stop and look around like fuck we're in it's not that bad yeah, yeah not that bad we're in wherever we are we're in bali we're in do you ever have yeah. you ever been to like well not have you ever have you been to a concert recently and been like standing next to someone that was filming it and then you don't film but you have like a weird feeling of like damn should i be filming this as well no, I've never been one to like, to, I'd rather have the memory. Yeah. I don't, cool. Now it's on my phone. Like I'm almost bad at it now. Like, especially now, like we've been documenting all these trips. Like now I go places. If I'm not shooting something, like I hardly even pull my phone out to shoot yeah. a photo. Cause I'm just like, I just want to like live in the moment yeah. and take it all in. I don't know. I think it's cause it's, we're so saturated with, yeah. with every documenting everything now. It's like, it's almost more of a novelty to not document it now yeah. you know what i mean like it's Dude, just I feel sitting like there that. and watching it it's almost it's like oh yeah, this you're is the cool weirdo. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that's what i mean like we went to um what i fuck i went to see uh usher with my missus got roped into that one but actually enjoyed it <laughs> you know he's a savage is fucking little john oh yeah bro so he was <laughs> like he was playing with usher and I just was fucking tripping. Was this recently? At, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like only a uh, um, couple months ago, Little John just was absolutely fucking out of control. Still like, stole the show, dude. It was so <laughs> sick. But yeah, I mean, like I didn't get my phone out. Right. I've always been the guy that like never really 
filmed like maybe get a photo or something like that cool right if you can get a cool photo but you do you feel like a bit of like you feel like the weirdo and you're almost compelled you're like fuck should i be filming this yeah like <laughs> i don't know am i missing something here because it seems like everyone sort of is doing it yeah you end up i mean you end up with a phone full of stuff but what are you gonna do with it i don't you know, know what i mean i've like, ever seen anyone be like oh man here watch this concert it's like, yeah dog shit audio <laughs> that's and, like, the worst you go on instagram yeah. you're watching someone's story and there's like a hundred you know videos on their story of a concert and just like i can't even hear what it's you know the music is like fuck. dude skip uh, w- one of my buddies from red bull anthony he's a fucking biggest legend everybody always facetimes me from concerts and i'm like dude this is <laughs> this is not a great experience for me hey <laughs> i'm fucking pissed i'm not watching travis scott with you right now and b i can't hear shit yeah. i'm like just sitting there like it's fucking it's rad you're there <laughs> but i can't but this isn't good for me uh, what were we talking about before we got into that? Um, Costa Rica. Costa Rica or something. Was it... Did you... Oh, documenting it. True. With the Costa Rica thing, did it sort of like... Did you ever feel like the odd kid out because you had like that sort of such different shit going on in the holidays or maybe you were missing like your friends hanging out in the holidays but then at the same time, did it make you uh, feel like comfortable with being the odd one out? Because I think to be to be the odd one out, to for lack of a better term, is like a super fucking cool thing to be. But when you're a kid, it's not. And I feel like there's a lot of people that I know that in school, and I mean, for me, I was fucking super outcast, weird kid in school. But then you leave school, and then it's like that thing that you were the fucking weird kid for is like actually the thing that people find value in sort of down the track but like did it make you comfortable or did you ever feel like a kind of a weird kid or you couldn't relate or you were on a bit of a different level just because of what you're experiencing down there um i definitely was like sometimes that you know you kind of like oh i feel like i'm missing out on my friends here but mm. but like what you know growing up in huntington like oh it's such a like it's such a surf town like i kind of like here you know so like mm almost as like as far as being an outcast it was never really an out like you know i was everyone was almost jealous oh i wish i was going like on oh, a surf trip of kind surf of thing, thing. Yeah, you know yeah, like it was yeah. a surf thing everyone like oh everyone wants to go to coaster you get on a surf trip so everyone was almost like envious to some degree but i always felt like oh i'm missing out like oh you know summer with your friends summer break everyone's hanging at the beach every day you know you kind of miss out on that but i was going i had all my friends in costa rica mm. too so it was like I don't know. Like I never really, I always took it as a positive, I guess. Never felt, never felt any like kind of negative thing about it or anything. And it was, yeah, it was always a good thing. I always came back. Like it, it helped me appreciate home, you know, or appreciate both. I appreciated when I was in, you know, Huntington, I appreciated Costa Rica and vice mm. versa, you know, like, so it was always, it was always just a positive, positive thing, you know? But it definitely, like, would have shaped who you are now. Oh, for sure. In a big way, right? 100%, you know? 100%. Dude, how was the... um, When you went from that... You did that trip from Huntington to Costa Rica. Yeah. Was that sketchy at any point? It was crazy. Actually, people were like... You hear horror stories, man. Dude, there was people that were like, don't do it. You guys are going to die. Yeah, yeah. You know, you guys are... Why would you do that? You guys are... Like, it's a horrible idea. And we're just like... I was like, dude, I spent my whole life in Central America. Like, I speak fluent Spanish. We'll be fine, you know? 
and uh, everyone's like, especially Mexico. That was mm. everyone. Because you know, you hear the me the the media has this narrative about Mexico being you know just drug lords and you know all that, and it does exist, you know. But drive through Compton. You know, in the middle of Compton, and tell me what it's like. Mm-hmm. You know, or anywhere in South Central LA, it's, it's just as ghetto. On. Yeah, you know what I mean. But it's just all about how you are in the positions and the situations you put mm-hmm. yourself in. And we just, you know, we were just going down. We were very um, aware of our surroundings, and there was, there's the worst stuff we really experienced was. There's a lot of corruption, like at the borders and the border yeah, crossings. It's yep. a nightmare to go through the border crossings. Like, take us all day, and everyone's trying to like make a buck off you, and you, you know, like. So that was kind of the worst thing, but that was that was really it. Like we had to bribe some cops, you know, because they'd pull us over for some bullshit yeah. thing, you know, and you pay them twenty bucks. And the worst I think was these one guys, the military guys, had uh, pulled us over, and they had some bullshit thing that we supposedly did and and they tried like tried to like intimidate us they like fake arrested us intimidate us oh you guys are going to jail but because i can speak spanish i'm like all right well what are you you know what are you taking us to jail for and this and that you know and eventually just kind of talk your way out of it i think that time was the biggest bribe we had to pay we had to pay him like a hundred bucks yeah right but that was it man that was like the worst experience if anything it was like the opposite of everyone said it what they said it would be oh it's gonna be horrible you do this but like everywhere we went we met rad people everyone was super friendly like people take you in at home make you dinner and it was awesome you know there was i would encourage anyone to go to it you don't need like you don't even need a a nice car we did in a 87 toyota you know it was like the thing had like 300,000 miles on it and we it doesn't really matter you could do it in any car any time any crew just if you just go do it and if you're a genuine person and you're nice to people and you're genuine to them, like usually you get that right back. Like, mm. I pretty much felt, I feel like anywhere in the world I've gone, that's pretty much the same experience. Like no matter where you're in the world, like they're just humans, just like we are, you know, you, usually if you give people a smile, they give it right back. Mm. Dude, when we just did the Vietnam thing, that was like one of the coolest things about it was that we were going through like the jungle, dude. Yeah. Like there were places I pulled out the drone at um this one town and they were they freaked out like not in a bad way right they were just like whoa (laughs) everyone in this village run out and it's like they just build that it's a communist country so they just find a place to clear some land and then they build a hut on it and then they just upgrade their house over however many years and then one of the guides was saying that like if you've lived there for a certain amount of time it's just yours so and then there's like these rivers that kind of like flow at the bottom of the the valleys and then they've got their rice fields and then they just grow their rice or their corn or or whatever Mm -hmm. um but yeah so we get there and it's just this road we're just stopping on the side of the road and like oh that'd be super cool to film and then fly the drone and these people just were like tripping out on it but no one was ever like there was not one bad word said to us in two and a half thousand kilometers on a motorcycle and it was cool the the guides there's like no restaurants there's no place some days we got to stop at like a restaurant sort of style place and have like a proper meal but most of the time they were the guides would ride ahead and go find like a nice place that could fit all of us and they're like hey can we make lunch here 
and then we'd rock up like right behind them and then they'd start making our lunch and we'd sort of none of them could speak any English this is someone's house yeah just someone's house and we'd like take photos with their kids and like and like my girlfriend's got blonde hair my brother's girlfriend's got blonde hair so like everyone was freaking out on them having blonde hair (laughs) so it's like they're all trying to take photos but like we got the craziest photos man of like this old dude like way in his 80s or early 90s and he still had like his war jacket on and he was just like had a walking stick and they were just so pumped for us to be there and then we'd leave all the extra food so we wouldn't take anything with us right so like they let us have their house and then we just give them like a bucket of food and it was already like we cooked up everything and and it was like it was so cool to share an experience with people but there's no common language there's no common interest there's no like we had literally nothing in common with these people and they just open up our house and again it was just the guides like they didn't arrange it nothing they're just like it's lunchtime to see if we can use the house imagine if you try to do that in LA or something dude you know that's what we were tripping on the whole time like people would be like they call the cops who are you yeah get the fuck out of here there's um there's a book I've been reading it's fucking so interesting it's called sapiens a a brief history of humankind but it it sort of documents all of that stuff and like if you think about game of thrones times it was about like honor and your your worth was sort of more attached to like your name than like your own individual identity people didn't like we grow up in the west with like a bedroom and then you can got a door that closes there's like so much emphasis on the individual and your worth is determined by yourself but in so many cultures all around the world still it's like they don't sleep in isolated rooms it's not about the individual it's so much more about like the collective than than what it is in like western culture and it's like there's still places where people don't it's not about individualism it's about the tribe it's about the community it's about the group and less onus on like just the individual person because like yeah if you did that in LA and you like rocked up at someone's house he's like fuck no this is my house get out of here and the same (laughs) same happened in Australia it's uh like kind of building off that that's one thing I noticed uh from at least from American culture to or North American culture from Central American culture is um in Costa Rica specifically was when you know you have a family like you have the kids the parents and the grandparents all living in one house you know so it's like in america you have you get to a certain age and you ship grandma off to a nursing home and and then the kids move out at 18 and and it's sort of like it seems like in in latin cultures in central america specifically like they sort of take care of 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 their family like you you get old grandma moves in she mm-hmm. takes care of the little kids you know there's no need for a babysitter and you almost have kids to take care of you when you get older kind of thing you know mm. and you and there's also that thing where you don't move out at 18 or whatever you kind of like they kind of people stay there until they get married it's, it's so it was such a so much different culturally but it's in a, good, a lot of ways it was so much more positive like there's such mm. a stronger family element you know and um you don't you don't really see the whole like like at least in in southern california like everyone's very like 
self-centered in, in a way you know like well it comes yeah it's like that individualism individualism like, that's and like what you're we saying practice like yeah. that's that is you're our so, culture culture kind of breeds you to to, mm. to focus on yourself and and there's a thing that that is weird to where it's like you get told like oh these kids don't worry if they tease you you're you're as special as you want to be yeah you're as you're you determine your own worth you you know your place in this world and it's it's like a good thing it gives you freedom to you know freedom from unjust judgment but a lot of times like if 10 people think you're a fucking idiot you're probably a fucking idiot idiot. (laughs) and it's like you know that so there is these like you can't compartmentalize your own place in society and it's it's very out there to see like you want to if if you want to do an action that is shameful and dude like it's so it goes even further now from like just the room thing and like i'd I'd never thought about it until i read this book that it's about you know you give your kid their own room and then sometimes you let the kid lock the door and it's like you're just we're we're like segregating ourselves further and further and further away but like when you do that there's you're sort of taking away like accountability from the group and a lot of times the group's probably right but it's not comfortable but then it's like we go even further to like some fucking dipshit can comment on your instagram and be like that board looks like a piece of shit yeah and it's like there's no accountability there I like know. there's no it's like he's so far removed from that but it's like if he was in a room with three of us and him and he said that boy looks like a piece of shit I'd be like what the fuck are you talking about it looks like a piece of shit he probably would never say that and that's, and that's the, the thing reality. Like they, and they wouldn't say yeah. that so it's like yeah there is this weird culture but out of it comes like a bunch of crazy cool shit and a bunch of really good ideas but I don't think we have balance as a culture of like there is no middle ground between like the group family everybody sleeping in an open room more of a community that is based around community like i i know two people that live in this building right and there's like eight apartments i don't <laughs> know those people we live like there's a dude upstairs that's right above us right now don't know him. yeah like it's a it's kind of weird the way that we've set it up and it's like there's benefits to it like i get to sit here and do a podcast with you and this goes out to the world like that's a cool thing that probably wouldn't happen if there was 20 other people in the room so it's like there's things that come of it but it's like we said before about the balance it's like maybe we still need to to hold on to some of these things that work for people in like vietnam and costa rica or at least even go and experience those things so that your own mind is open to what those other cultures are like because there's good in all of it still I mean that's that's really the beauty of of travel, right? Mm. You know, kind of putting yourself in those positions where you're almost when you're traveling, you're forced to like kind of be friendly. Or at least mm. I am. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go talk to people and make friends or whatever. Like, we actually just did this trip. Um, uh, it was a day's trip. It was called Death Rides a Horse. It'll be coming out um, later this year, and um, it was a. Uh, Pretty much all all the Deus crew, pair of South of Siang, um cast, and we had one other buddy with us, Micah from from uh, California, and uh, we did a trip. Where we rode bikes from my place out in the desert, the Mojave Desert, all the way down to the bottom of of Baja. Damn, that's sick. And uh, we had this old 1960s Chevy 
truck and um it was kind of like this trip was sort of that's kind of what it was all about like just getting back to sort of why we all started to travel you know which was was just that like mm. your some of your best buddies getting together we're going to be in a place where our phones did not work like they don't like you doesn't matter you're in the de- middle of the desert there's nothing and you just it's funny like when you're like that you, you disconnect from that it's like you have to live in the moment you mm. know what i mean like and then you, you just interact with your, each other. Like if, if all five of us were here on the Gold Coast and we had traveled here and we're hanging here, it'd be so different than mm-hmm. it was when we were down there in the middle of the desert where we're like having to like survive almost, you know, and, and, uh, it, that's, that's kind of that dude, that's the best part of traveling for me. Like all, all those moments where it's, it's, you're just, just living, just living right then, right there, right now kind of thing, you know? But, um, but yeah, I'm excited actually for that film to come out. It seems like Deus sort of has that mix, eh? Like yeah. they respect the cultural significance of yeah. going to a place where there is no phones. Like they're not met. You don't see a Deus edit from like Pipeline. Right. You know, it's like, and again, there's like phone service there. You can't ride your bike there. there. So it's like, I guess it goes to show you can be super successful as a company but still hold on to some of those values or like showcase that kind of vibe where you do hold on to some of that that old school mentality well i think people like we want it now eh? yeah more than ever people really want i mean i know i i, I guess i do I, I want like authentic like authenticity and and whatever it is i'm watching or buying or you know what i mean like i feel like people are like there's so much like sort of contrived produce stuff that's just con- produced that's really contrived and like it just feels forced and fake especially in California or I could even see it here on the Gold Coast too like mm. it's kind of similar to like Orange County in some ways you know where it's like you know plastic surgery and this and that like or it's almost it's, it's super so, image based yeah where people now are, are like sort of people want like the real like they want yeah. stuff with substance and um yeah I mean I, I would hope that we you know, whatever we're doing comes across like that, you know, <laughs> but whatever we're doing, we're, we're, we're actually out there doing and we're just kind of trying to capture it. And yeah. So I think that's why it kind of comes across that way with, with brand, like a brand like Dias, it does give you that feeling. Right. Whereas, and I think that you look back in the, those days, like Billabong, Quicksilver, like those big box companies, like they sort of stopped giving you that feeling. It felt like it was, overproduced and it was it was like a group of at the start it's like a group of dudes that are like the young surfer dudes they're like they're actually out there doing it and their finger was on the pulse and they knew exactly what they wanted they knew because they knew what we wanted because it's what they wanted and they were us in a way right and then at some point it's like they're 55 year old dudes living in mansions in Torquay right and it's like you don't know what we want now yeah so then the people just stop buying it and then i think that you when you get a brand like deus it's like they're still giving people that feeling like when i watched south to cyan yeah i wanted to do that that trip so it's like i just i think the new companies now or companies like deus that have like they have the luxury of hindsight like they could see what happened to these companies 
when they stopped giving people that feeling and it became about world titles and it was only about like the Mick Fannings the Kellys it's like I can't relate to those dudes yeah I'm stoked to watch them surf but there's nothing that like like watching them surf pipe in a pipe master like I cannot relate to that right but I can relate to surfing a fish and riding a, a moto on a beach like that's cool as hell to me and it's like I just I don't know it's like it feels like it got super elitist in a way and then that is what almost like alienated people and i think like dude fox went a lot like that no fear went a lot like that now fox is coming back around but it's um like through these new different channels like a guy like a photographer like drew ruiz Mm -hmm. he's like does photo legend oh you know him yeah oh no shit i've worked with him a few times yeah so like he, he did he does this like super cool shit that it's like it's relatable yeah like you can sort of see yourself in his photos you know like commercials a lot of commercial shoots but it has this really like organic feel Mm. to it you know it doesn't feel like a commercial shoot like i did a shoot with them uh on the new um it was like the launch for the new x 450x for honda oh yeah yeah and um yeah dude it it's like he's able to like capture it in a really like relatable you know, way yeah like it's it just like it just looked like you know buddies that are out for a ride you know it didn't see yeah. like really like overproduced and and stuff like that and i think guys like him that are are sort of nailing that are the like guys that are really like like you said like got their finger on the pulse almost you know like yeah. i think that's what people really want right now like well i think too like when it comes to your stuff it's like you're actually out there doing it yeah like you can't fake driving from Huntington Beach to Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> you can't fake that shit. There's n- it's not like fly in, go across this border, get some footage, fly back home for a week. Right. Have a crew drive your truck. Like, you have to live it. And I think that they're the people that are, like, getting the message across nowadays. Right. And it's, it's cool to... There was a time, man, and I think it's probably got to do with the internet is there was a time when it was like it was only the tv or it was only the radio yeah and you got you got what you were given essentially right and then it just got more there it was like there was competition to like who could have the craziest fucking big brother oh well, now we're gonna do love island now we're gonna do the bachelor yeah. and it just like keeps going that you just lose touch right. with what's actually real but then i think that's what's really cool about the internet is that it's just people real people like you look at Mark Surfboard stuff. It's like, that's yeah. just real. That's just like a fucking gangster <laughs> dude that's like doing super legit glassing work on the internet. And it's like, you, that might have got passed up back in the day by some dude that had a yes or a no as to what went in a magazine or yeah. what went here or there. And it was, it might not have fit into that get what you given model. But now it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you get what, what that person wants to give you. And if you don't like it, don't follow it. You can, I mean, you can make a living off of it too. Like, you know, Hell that's yeah. what's cool. It's given, I mean, for someone like me or, or Mark, like a way to really make a living using Instagram or the internet and whatever, which is super cool. Like never been, never before could you ever do that. You know, yeah. like you said, you had to have magazines or this or that, the other. but now you can do something cool and share it and have a product or something that you can sell and and you can uh, never before was it has it ever been like that you know yeah. where you can 
you could, I feel like that's definitely changing the way people make make a living and stuff. Like people now are really able to like pursue, a, turn a hobby into a, a yeah. living. You know, well, that's Just what this is. Internet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, so it's pretty cool. It's a it's cool definitely a, to, yeah. It's a crazy yeah. It's a crazy time, but. I mean, I get it comes again. It's just like the yin and yang, like comes with a lot of other stuff. But yeah, for sure. It's it's still. I think that the important thing to remember, though, is like the cream always rises to the top. Right. Like there, you you just can't fake. Like the market decides. Right. <laughs> ultimately, and I think that's sort of like the good a good thing. And there is so much crazy shit on the internet, but I mean that's sort of what it was like with infomercials you know that's like that's crazy shit like a fucking shake weight so it's like i don't know i still think though that with everything and with without changing it you still have to be doing good stuff to like get recognized it's not, not like just because you got instagram and a product it's gonna work right and i've uh i've actually been working on this this project down in costa rica i think i was talking to you yeah, about yeah, it before yeah, let's but talk about that for sure um yeah we've been trying to like kind of capture what we're just saying and 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 do we've been doing this opening up um it's a it's it's a hotel down down in um northern costa rica and we really that's kind of what we were after you know like there's there's obviously other places you can stay there's hilton you know hilton hotel or whatever you know and um but yeah with this project we're doing it's called it's down there it's called somos and um we just wanted to build a place where you could come and and uh really like sort of have a really authentic experience like you know and it's based around the things that we love which is building surfboards and, and riding motorcycles and people will be able to come down and and kind of actually live that you know not only can you see you know watch us the stuff that we've done and stuff but we can create a place where people can come down and actually live that for themselves you know so I've been super like stoked on that pro- on this project and and and, uh, and when do you think that's gonna start happening? So this summer. So we'll we'll have it open this summer, the first location. And that's U.S. summer for people. Yeah, so that'll Australia. be uh, July, July 2019. And um, yeah, come down, be able to ride some bikes. Have you know, stay at a rad place, ride some bikes. You could order a surfboard, be a part of it, get a hand you know handmade board by me and Mark. Get in there with us. Are you going whatever. doing that? Yeah. Dude, that's gonna be sick. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go on a trip. I'm gonna do one. Oh anyway, yeah, we're gonna get you down there. I'll be keen, dude. But yeah, you know, that's kind of uh That was like the inspiration. That was really it. the inspiration, you know, just like create something like authentic where people can like, yeah, you can go buy a board, you can go, you know, you can go on like a you know organized tour or whatever. But like, we wanted to be able to people come down and like just really like live that experience, you know. Mm. And um, yeah, so I'm pretty excited to get that going and, and share it with the world and so you said you were saying yesterday that you got husky a part of it yeah so we so we're gonna have um we're working on getting some we should have like you know a whole fleet of huskies and do uh some enduro type riding yeah you know and the riding is crazy so good there. sick like from our place it's all dirt roads like you know we're right in front of the beach go straight out you're riding down the beach in five minutes from the hotel river crossings you can ride to waterfalls it's like it's amazing you know there's countless surf breaks up and down the coast and, um you know we'll have surf racks on the bikes and stuff and go down and just go explore for yourself you know 
find a lonely peak somewhere down the beach and just share and, a knife right yeah dude <laughs> it's so it's 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 such a magical place man i gotta gotta share it with the world i don't know too many people in oz that have been to costa rica like i feel like it's a pretty undiscovered spot for most yeah. people do you know many people that have been to costa rica no, here Yeah. Like, yeah. Americans, it's a lot of Americans. Eh, a lot really? of Americans, a lot of Canadians, a lot of Europeans. Yeah. Um, it had like a country got a big boom in, in, uh, like the nineties, I would say with like Americans. And then it sort of like kind of dropped off, I think. And people started going other places, but it's been really big with, with Europeans. But um, for us, it's like so close. Like it's like our version of going to Bali or something. Yeah, mm. so yeah. Close well, that's to the home. thing. Like we've got Indo, but I've yeah. never been to Bali, never been to Indonesia because when Which I was is funny. <laughs> well, I was like 21 when I moved to America. Oh right. So, so like, you're like that was my first overseas trip was the states, and then I was there for two months, and then I filmed some shit with Red Bull, and then basically that whole crew was like, you should stay, and yeah. you could just keep filming. So then I was I went for two months, come home for two months, got a visa, and went back. And then that was it. So, like, I've done all Europe. I've done, like, Alaska all through, you know, well, not all through, but, like, some places in South America. Right. Like, I just never got to do anything in Bali or Indonesia. But I've been to Thailand and stuff now. But, yeah, yeah I've never, never really done the holiday thing through there. Yeah, I mean, I love Bali. I've been going a lot, like, the last, just Indonesia in general. Like, yeah. it's been so good. I've been just building boards and, and riding over there and, it's a pretty pretty special place for sure like um i think it's one of those few places i go and like i feel really inspired when i go there for some reason mm. like yeah, the way there's so many like um so much going on that's like a lot of like creatives i feel like you mm. know and like I don't know, a lot of just really cool stuff going on every time i go there, i feel like i leave there like inspired with some idea or a new approach to doing whatever it is i'm doing you know yeah, I think a lot of people from here that like really get their own, that like want to get on their own vibe and right. they get their own thing going and then they like it takes balls to go like fuck it I'm just going to go to Bali for yeah. three months or four months or whatever like you're going to see a certain type of person like yeah, a theme emerge sure. and they will be people that are like pushing to do their own shit whether it's surfing or yoga or shaping or yeah. riding like like my friend Lewis Stewart lives over there and races like yeah, the nationals yeah. like that's his own lane like you're gonna meet people that you know kind of trade this culture and the things that they don't like about western culture to go and live that kind of lifestyle it's like that takes a person that is on their own level you know yeah that's uh I, I uh it's funny cause there's a <laughs> There's so many people too that go over there, and it's the opposite of that though too, where people just go over and like, mm. just be dumb kind of strange. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot exactly. of that too. Yeah, but there's a Which lot is of that. Fine. There's yeah, a lot whatever. of that in America too, man. Oh, dude, totally. I, that's what I laugh about because like people like come over, like my Australian friends come over, to California, they all like, oh, talking shit, you know, like fucking whatever you know Dude, annoying the, americans fucking the tilted kill <laughs> in fucking temecula bro i used to go there because i used to go there and watch the fights and i'd go there and it'd be like a bunch of dudes on that like 
California motocross holidays or whatever and I'd have to walk up and I'd just be like oi boys shut the fuck up because I have to live here and every time I walk into places like this yeah. I get people looking at me like I'm you yeah shut the fuck up with the Aussie 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 oi bullshit yeah, and yeah. just be fucking cool alright oh dude oh it happens everywhere dude yeah but you get that you get that with uh, places people want to go can't yeah. stop dickheads from going there yeah world's full of dickheads uh, but Bali yeah Bali's definitely I've like I've never done like a dedicated surf trip I've always done uh, like when I did Hawaii it was because of Dream Ride when we shot that video there yeah but I got to surf pretty much every day it's kind of actually really where I like learned how to surf Hawaii's I, awesome I, I actually uh, right after high school I, I moved to Oahu oh I remember you saying that yeah I lived there for only about a year but um did you shape a lot there no, I didn't shape at all, actually. Really? Um, so what made you move there? My uh, my uncle actually just invited me over. He was he he's in the Marine Corps and he oh. was stationed over there at the time. And he just was like, "Hey, I got a spare room. Come live for free." And so I, I actually went to community college out there for for a little bit and just studying and just surfing. And then um, there's a good moto scene there, though. Yeah, it's funny actually. I got there like I was kind of like, oh, I'm just gonna surf. I'm just gonna not ride for a bit or whatever. And, I got there and I, of course, ended up meeting, you know, the, you say there's a big moto scene, but it's, it's pretty small, you know, there's well, like, like it's, it's bigger than a normal person would expect. Oh, for right? sure. Yeah. Like on an Island. Right. Yeah. But there's, you know, I met the one dude in the town I lived in that rode moto. And then next thing I know, I was riding all the time. Like they're sick riding and they're like super like California. So regulated, regulated. Yeah. You can't ride there. They're like, yeah, we'll just go ride in the Hills right here. Like just out of, out of the garage. And, um, yeah, it was sick. I go over to Kahuku area and we mainly rode a lot of just trail, like, you know, trail riding and stuff. But yeah. it's like, it's like really technical stuff, like kind of yeah. hard enduro type shit. Well, it's like that red clay too, right? Super slippery, Super slippery muddy, slippery, tight. Tons you know? of grass everywhere. Yeah. But it's beautiful. It's sick. And you're riding, watch, you know, there's one part of Kahuku where you're like one double that you hit in the back and you can just see the ocean. You know, you're looking at like Velzy land down below or whatever it is, you know, it's so like where else in the world can you do that the only place i've done that is bali i think other than than hawaii dude the that south to cyan man that really blew me away with like how well that was done yeah but like the writing looked insane dude and there's yeah. a there actually is a um there actually is like a tool company called like bali adventure tools or bali yeah. moto tools or something bali like that. dirt bikes uh, is that what it is yeah a friend a friend of ours this guy ari he, he owns that and um yeah, it's, it's rad. They have a bunch of KTMs and you can go ride. They take a bunch of different um, tour options they offer, but some sick single track. Cool things going up to the volcano and, yeah, you know, it's kind of fun. It's like kind of this dune area almost. And, but yeah, I mean, it's beautiful there, but it's, Bali's pretty, uh, it's so populated. So there's nowhere really that big, you know, to ride. But dude, it's, if you're there, you got to do it. I definitely mm. recommend, um, looking those guys up and doing that tour yeah i was i was definitely surprised with how many people like pumped on moto yeah at in hawaii and because we were on Kauai for the shoot um and they had like a club day when we were there and there was oh, like they're diehards there was like kids that were ripping too a lot of kids come over to california like because they you know it's such a small scene there so like a lot but there's a lot of good hawaiian kids that come over and and start racing you know come over just to start racing yeah that's sick well but, 
Billy, I took a dude over there to build the Dream Ride track, Billy Swap, mm-hmm. and uh, he still builds for Supercross now. Oh, okay. Um, part of the Dirtworks crew. But so he was so pumped on Kauai that he moved. Oh, really? Like, I took him over there to build the track, and he still lives there now. His, like, daughter was born there and shit. So, but yeah, he, um, it's actually, like, really cool how that all worked out. Because we got a ton of shit online about, like, building a track and, like, knocking yeah. down land. And it was bullshit. Because there was, like, a track there that sucked. Right. And then we went in, built a dope track. And then after we left, we rounded everything off so that people could ride it. But it was kind of like a private track. But, um, but then Billy ended up staying there. And he just moved him and his wife. And then they later had a kid. But he actually went and, like, fully rebuilt, like, the local club track there. And, like, kind of got involved in the scene. So it was pretty rad that it wasn't something that I planned or thought of or whatever. But it's, like, we did that. And then after it, it actually did help, like, the community and, like, the whole moto scene there through, like, a... That was uh, staying, you know. Where was that? Kauai? Yeah, Kauai. Yeah. We did it right under where that, like, King Kong head is. Like, I've actually never been to Kauai. Oh, really? I've only ever been to Oahu, which is, which is funny because everyone tells me, like, all the other islands are so much better <laughs> yeah i mean I don't, I don't know if i'd say better it's just like different, a different yeah vibe. for yeah. sure it's just it seems smaller and more local still yeah than definitely oahu is like you're in waikiki that could be like bondi right you know there's nothing crazy you don't get like a hawaii feeling there except you can see like mountains and shit yeah but um yeah you go to Kauai and it's definitely a lot more still like farmland well like when you're driving up to the north shore yeah it's just sort of still like that but um yeah, it was cool that the moto community sort of like got something out of that that film because that was one thing we got like criticized for it was like oh just go there and then leave it's like we like sold the bike to locals crazy cheap and shit <laughs> so like because that gave you know ktm gave gave us the bikes so then we ended up like just yeah flogging them off to the locals i think like some of you like 250s like three grand oh really yeah yeah so we like hooked everyone up but (laughs) it was way bigger than i thought like i went there and there was like charva greenley was trying to yeah like it actually got kind of weird because i was just going to like trying to find somewhere we could build a track and then it ended up like the whole island like everyone that had a track or had land for a track become like this really big like fight almost where to over build the like track. where to build the track <laughs> and then like it was super weird because we were getting people like taking it was just me and my little brother my little right. brother was like 19 at the time or maybe 20 and um i flew him over he was in america with me and then i was like hey do you want to come to hawaii if i book your trip a bit extra will you stay in hawaii and we'll go obviously he'd never been so we went over there and then we like randomly mike metzger was there so then we ended up in Hawaii yeah like <laughs> right where we were staying and we run into like the people that were showing us the tracks or whatever so then we ended up having like Java telling us that we needed to build it at his place and it was like it was sick but it wasn't this like Hong uh, this King Kong head right. thing and then we had that block of land that had like all these hills and then you could see the ocean like through the doubles and stuff which right. is, that's what we wanted like we wanted that to be like the focal point of the video and then so like i didn't have any relationship type uh connection to to it i just wanted the project to be good so it ended up being that like just the smallest small time local dude that like his kid had an 80 and they had this bit of land 
and man we had like so much like gnarly shit go down with like dudes rocking up while we were trying to build like, it, it actually put me off Hawaii for a bit to be honest yeah that's like so much crazy like localism that's, shit that's kind of why i left honestly like mm. i was just like there's a lot of it's amazing people there but place, yeah, yeah. They, you know they're pretty it can be for sure it would dude <laughs> it was it got weird because like well quiet and uh specifically is has mm. really heavy localism like there's you're not allowed to film any surfing like whatsoever like if, if you've I mean, think about it. Like, I couldn't tell you a single clip from Kauai. Like, yeah, the only thing would be like Honolulu Bay. That'd right, that'd be it. That'd be it, really. Which is where everyone. That's right. like really all you know from there, right? Yeah. So it's. It was like it was kind of like for me though. I was just like, dude, all I want to do is just make this video. Yeah. Like, I'm not interested in any of this bullshit that's going <laughs> on. Like, I'm trying to make the video. We're gonna make a track for you guys, and we leave. Like, I'll give back something if you yeah. give me something. Like, that's I just I'm not interested in all the other shit. I don't care about the politics of where the track yeah. goes like i'm not picking this based on you guys individually could be the biggest dickhead but if you had the best spot for the video like that's, that's what i down. have to do like whether i want to or not i have to do the make the best video and then we had like water truck one water truck driver bought a gun because like he wanted to drive the dozer and i was like no this is billy who works for dirtworks and builds supercross tracks I give a fuck that you're local. You don't know how to operate a dozer in the way that we need. Like, there's no... I'm not trying to be a dick to you, dude. Yeah. So, anyway, he rocked up to a gun. He was in the water truck, and he just, like, leaned at AK-47 off the other side of the window. Oh, shit. I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is getting way too weird for me right now. Uh, and then, like, Malcolm Stewart, like, went off and did some shit at a party that he wasn't supposed to do and, like, was, <laughs> wasn't even supposed to be at a party, and then I had to deal with locals rocking up for that. I was like, fuck, this whole thing's just getting so heavy. But it was like, I wanted to say, it's like, all this shit, like, you want to build a track and it's like local this, local that. Yeah. It's like, all right, if you can build me this track with a shovel that you make from materials that come from this island, right. then I'll pay you to do it. Yeah. But if you need this this dozer that's made in America and shipped here and all the driving your Ford truck that's made in Detroit, yeah, like, then your localism arguments out the window to me right like you're not you like well i'm not taking from hawaii here like right. you're driving an american truck you're using an american like i get it but at the same time dude let's call it what it is here you know yeah what I, mean? I mean well hawaii is america but but yeah they, they were just like it got really weird to the stage where like yeah no people were saying i'm taking these jobs i'm taking i'm like well dude you're driving an american truck right here, to here like you can't give me this like america argument when like yeah this is what you're doing yeah i mean it's like i still do see their their point of view but it's like dude this isn't a this isn't about that right you know, i'm not coming i'm not coming at you with this angle and trying to do this to be spiteful this is just what it takes to get the job done i know it's there's there's such a big uh struggle in, in hawaii with that too mm. like where it's you know i have a lot of hawaiian friends that that are great people and stuff and and uh but it's funny because a lot of times they get blinded like you know they the whole aloha spirit of hawaii is like it's a really positive thing you know yeah but in a lot of ways they kind of have, they lose sight of that sometimes you know and like like what you're saying in that situation where there's no there was none of that 
none of that aloha spirit was like yeah. <laughs> present that, in that moment you know like yeah it's it's all about respect as long as you're just respecting them kind of thing you know yeah. it doesn't go two ways sometimes and that's that's i hate to like generalize it like that but that is you see that a lot you know and at the same time like in a place like oahu like you see it happen but it's also because there's so many people blowing in and out of the island yeah and they're not respecting it and they're not respecting the local so they've taken like a really yeah uh sort of like well i mean uh, and, like and aggressive I, stance on it you know yeah and i can see when people have been burnt in the past and i mean someone yeah. burns me in the past i'm probably right. not gonna do them a ton of favors but you know that that was the like that really what dude i got my passport stolen oh shit from my hotel like they broke into my hotel room and then like it wasn't even a, it actually wasn't even a dude from hawaii that did that it was a white dude oh really and then because like he disagreed like again it was just egos like all these egos like yeah there's a lot of ego. everyone wanted to be like the star of the show and i was like none of you are the star of the show the star yeah. of the show is like malcolm keisha and bell that's it like i don't need i'm not the star of this show i just got to get the job done but like it just it was cool at the end of it especially with billy moving there and then he like becomes a part of the community and is like rebuilding the tracks and then obviously the tracks stay there and we sold the bikes like gave away gear we did right everything we could and it, it really like i thought it was a cool positive thing so like the whole time i'm there just pushing shit uphill over <laughs> this like political thing that i just didn't want to be a part of and really like i just didn't care like i get it but it, like i don't want to be a part of any of the drama like i'm just trying to do this thing what i think is going to be good for everyone but it it definitely left me like especially when my passport got stolen then they're like they're like you got to go pick it up from the police station when you go there you're gonna get arrested and i was just like no they no maybe that wasn't my passport it's just my wallet and then i ended up texting the dude and i was like keep my fucking wallet and he's like what about your cards and, and i was like i just sold four dirt bikes dude <laughs> i was like i got a bunch of cash right now like i really don't care and then he ended up he ended up like i think he ended up saying oh it's at this place it's at such and such and i was like all right cool is all this really worth it dude but like i mean that that sort of put like a weird taste in my mouth and then yeah. i went to costa rica straight after and i was like oh really yeah and i was like this is fucking amazing i want to rewatch those films now the costa rica one well just both of those i, yeah. I don't it's been so long since i've seen them dude i wouldn't have even watched them since they came out <laughs> like i don't i would have been sick of it by the time you done editing it and no idea how yeah. much i hated all those <laughs> i still love the first dream ride that we did in cairns that was yeah. like that's my favorite thing i ever did because it was like we just signed malcolm and then it was in my hometown like where we did that first dream ride in cairns that was like 10 minutes from where i lived my entire yeah. life like my parents still live there that at was the like time. your local track yeah well no we made it oh that was scratch. really yeah so it was a my friend it was actually jackson richardson's place so they own this cane farm mm -hmm. out in Alumba, which is like 20 minutes out of town from cairns and then we um yeah my buddy my like literally my best friend that i grew up racing with he did all the dozer work jats's dad did dozer work um and like yeah just fully made it made it happen like that shit was like so like I talk about like that's my deus 10 boards thing <laughs> that was i had no fucking idea right. what i was doing really when i look back at it now i was like like when i look back that's still my favorite thing i ever did yeah it's like you had no business making that <laughs> like you had no business making that film just but dive in head first but you grow from that best shit. way to do it 
Because like that would have been the same thing with like the Deus boards, right? Yeah, when they ordered for 10. sure. Same same kind of thing. Dive in head first and make it happen. Did it, was that like a pivotal thing then for your career? Do you reckon? Yeah, for sure. I mean, with the with everything, because with the boards and then being part of the film and then sort of becoming a part of the brand after that, you know, and then that sort of kickstarted the whole sort of the path tour I've been on mm. a lot since then. That was like four years ago now so i've just been kind of it never stopped i guess <laughs> do you like do you have a lot of because you're still like young but yeah. do you have any visions of like what this all looks like in the next few years or like say the next 10 years um you know like I, i'd like to keep doing it you know um maybe We'll see, man. To see if I, if I, as long as I'm, I'm having fun and enjoying it and traveling and, and, um, it makes sense. I can make some money and, and yeah, I mean, I, I could totally see keep doing it, you know? Um, and, uh, with, with, uh, the hotel down in Costa Rica, you know, hopefully get that off the ground and I'll be spending some more time down there again and, 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 um, you know, kind of building that and, and yeah, that's kind of where my focus is now, really just yeah. keeping it going. But, um, kind of those other little, that other project down there and so kind of build you, that. And so when have you got a, or like what stage are you guys at with that right now? So we're under construction right now. So you're building the hotel. Yeah. So we're building, no we're building shit. a hotel. Yeah. We're, um, so yeah, we're Ju- July that should, should be done and, and we should be up and running by, by July. So that's kind of taken a big, big chunk of my focus, you know? Um, yeah, I was going to say like how involved have you had to be in that? Yeah. You know, I have, I have a bunch of, you know, not a bunch. I have a couple partners, um, that actually brought me on. Um, um, so one of the guys, a guy, a good buddy of mine, a guy I grew up with. Um, and he, uh, we just really wanted to like, they wanted to really add the el- the surf, the whole surf moto mm. element to it, you know? And so that's, I've sort of taken that, charge of that that element of it and and um it's just trying to bring you know bring that to the to the brand that we're, we're trying to build you know yeah but um it's it's funny because down there like it's it's a lot like um i guess you could say like bali or or places where, where motorcycles are sort of part of the culture part of the culture because that's just how you know it's an affordable way to get around and, you know you can actually afford to own a motorcycle and stuff so everyone's really into motorcycles but the whole like surf moto travel like it doesn't really exist yet like it's there like, you see guys riding around they're holding their board they're riding down go check the waves on their bike or whatever but um yeah we're just kind of trying to just sort of insert that culture down there you know and kind of mm. create build some custom bikes and just have some you know build some really nice custom surfboards and and uh and uh offer a place where people can come stay and be a part of the whole thing you know but um yeah so i I think the future that's kind of where where my focus is right now and it'll allow me to still build boards and i'll still be able to travel and Mm. and um and be able to do what i do there really just kind of building my own my own uh little slice of heaven down there (laughs) that other people can enjoy as well you know do you do you have uh, races that you still want? Because you're a fucking good rider, dude. Like oh, you can ride. Yeah. Do you have races that you want to do, like bucket list yeah. type shit? Because you guys yeah. just did the twelve hour together, right? Yeah. So um, growing up, I always wanted to race in Baja. That was, was like, kind of say, my dream. You do yeah, that, I, right? I've d- I've raced the five hundred a couple of years back, and um, 
yeah, that's something I'd like to do, you know? Like, um, I, I like just kind of just, for me, racing now is really just like going out and you kind of like just testing yourself, you know, that kind of aspect of it. So I definitely, I'd like to go back to Baja and, and, and do some more racing down there. And cause it, it's that Baja is like definitely, um, it combines like the whole travel element and mm. like, you know, it's so much more than just a race kind of thing, you know, it's good. Like, it like ticks more boxes. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's brutal, dude. It's, it's so gnarly. Like mm. I watch those guys and like, you know, I'm, some of my good friends that, that race and they've been successful on there. And I'm just like, fuck, you guys are so gnarly. Like it, it's, it's brutal. Like it's fucking the gnarliest race I've ever been, I've ever been a part of or witnessed or whatever. And, um, so I'd like to do that, you know, just to check it off the list kind of thing, you know, mm. but, um, yeah, just whatever races are convenient, you know? Up, yeah. yeah. That's kind of how I approach it. Do you think you'd want to come back down for day in the dirt? Yeah. Down definitely want to come back down. I was supposed to come this year and it, it didn't work out. We ended up, the dates ended up kind of, um, overlapping with that Baja trip uh, we did to, for that day as film that's coming out. Um, but definitely next year I'll be, I'll be back or I'll be for this, for, this that, year. for this coming one yeah yeah well you missed a hell of a uh i know <laughs> you didn't miss much riding was did you did you yeah. like the riding i think i did three laps did you only do, yeah i did oh yeah it was a mudder yeah well yeah i did three i did three as well yeah. that's all i did <laughs> that's all i could manage dude i was fucked mark did uh because i think he did this one and then it was the America's right after, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, you went straight. So he to went. It. He yeah. did both, and then we went there, and, and America was sick. Like we had just got back from Baja. And, um, I guess uh, it would be like a month or so after, but dude, the dirt was, it had like rained like the Glen week Helen. before at Glen yeah. Helen. It was so epic. Everyone was partying and having a good time. It was like I can't believe that was the first one I've ever been to. I've been like I don't know what I've been doing this whole time, and dude, I should have like, been coming all these years having fun with. Yeah, I did the same thing, man. I did that one in 2010, and that was that was the one year it was a parlor. Right. And I was like, eh, like, wasn't that cool? I just that I, that was like the wrong year. Like, if you were gonna get a yeah. one, that was the wrong year to go to it. Right. But then, yeah, like since then, I was just like, fuck, dude, you blew it. Like, you lived 20 minutes from there for five years. You should have gone to that race. And now I like all my friends, and like, yeah, Drew goes out there, Garth yeah. Ballard goes out there, all the dudes from Red Bull go out there. Toby's done it now a bunch yeah, of times. Yeah, he was there. I, I actually got to line up next to him in the in the pro am race. You fucking smoke him or what? <laughs> <laughs> no way, dude. He's so it was sick to line up next to him though. You know, I mean, that's yeah. what's cool about that event. You're lining up with you know, it's average Joes and and pros and bros and everyone else. You know. And, bros, uh, bros, and hoes. Yeah, a couple. <laughs> yeah, not enough hoes, but that's the one element missing. <laughs> but uh, the best part was just fuck, just racing your buddies. You know, yeah. like we had. It was funny because we, we, you know, for the team races, um, like just we had this sort of all the Deus crew and all our buddies were. What's we, the one dude from Deus that come over this year? What's his name? Or is, oh no, he might have been from Fast House actually. Was it Matt? Uh, Oh, I just I follow him on Instagram now. He just seems like a super cool dude. Is I, he a writer? Or? Oh, I can't remember now, dude. Max Mandel, maybe. Max Mandel. Maybe 
I don't know. I shouldn't have bought him. I hate when I bring someone up and <laughs> I like have no fucking idea who they are. I'm like, you're gonna get around circles. You don't know who this dude is. But yeah, there was like there was one. Oh, anyway, he came out, but I was like following a bunch of his shit. Yeah, and he was like, I think pretty sure he's one of the fast house dudes. Yeah, might have um, been might have been Max. Yeah, Max okay. is a good buddy of ours. He like shoots a lot of Daya stuff, but he's also shoots that'd be almost who it is then, all yeah. the fast house yeah, stuff that'd too. Be who it is. Yeah, I, yeah, I follow him. He's now. a legend. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he should yeah, stay. He was he was fucking he was the one I think we were talking about the rev off. Oh like you know, in the middle of the night everyone yeah, just going nuts, revving their bikes for fucking five minutes for da, 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 da. Dude, it was so funny. Him and his brother were just going nuts, just revving the bike, just fucking just doing oh, they're partying. It was classic. Well I was telling you guys about I, I want to say it on the podcast just because like it means I actually have to fucking do it. But I seriously want to build like the go kart of motocross bikes. Uh-huh. We were talking about this, right? Yeah, I, I'm pretty fucking fired up to do it. I want to. I want to take. So like last year, I was saying me and my dad built. Well, it would have been the year before now. So I come home from the states. My brother's got his CRF 450. It was like a 15 model, and he raced the Fink Desert Race. Yeah. So he got like 20th. I would actually like to it. do that race. Yeah, that's fucking cool. That looks sick. What, maybe I, dude. Maybe I should do Fink on the fucking go kart. Is that a team race or is that nah, that's an individual? That's just, that's just you, yeah. you, you yourself and fucking you nuts, dude. That's all that race <laughs> is. Um, but yeah, so I was, so I come home. Maddie blew this. He so he went out to think in like fifteen. It must have been. And he pre-ran like 20k because like you just get to fifth gear and you just fucking hold it on the stop. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just literally like a race of balls. Yeah. And uh, so he's going down down wide open. It's just, just locks up oh. 20 minutes in. So then they just drove for like four days to get there. So he's like, oh, well, fuck, I'm going to go home. But then anyway, the, the factory Honda boys, the Smith brothers, they gave him one of their practice bikes or pre-run bikes and maddie raced that but um so it was like that thing just went in the shed and then maddie got another bike and then it just sat there for ages so then i come home and dad's like oh are you gonna get a bike now you're home and i was like no not not really like i haven't had a bike for years like jdr i had a 350 when ty simmons went from the 350 to 450 on the outdoors they had like just Mm -hmm. a bunch of 350 so i used to take one of those out i did surf across couple years oh, in there yeah. which is pretty fun and um but yeah so then dad's like oh yeah do you want do you want a bike and i was like uh eh. so then i was like man what if we like took the 450 and then just threw the motor out and then we bought like an old school cr250 so then we ended up getting a 98 cr250 and then me dad and a friend of mine rapid uh well, rapid did all the fab work at his shop and then me and dad like built the thing it was actually before the transmoto six hour in not last year the year before and uh dude saturday morning before the race where like i had my friend sorely and maddie kuypert around and i was like started it rode down the road and then it just shit out and i was like fuck what is it i had no idea and uh so then maddie kuypert he's like oh, i had one of these things this is what's happened blah 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 so we're like fixing it i don't know like 12 hours before the race like we had to be <laughs> up there and um and then we get it and my dad's like dude this thing won't make a lap like a hundred percent we didn't do anything dude we didn't put a new clutch in it we didn't do anything we kick-started it once when we bought it and i was like cool it runs and then we were just like well, we'll put it in and we'll get it measured up and then if it's fucked we'll pull it apart and we'll fix it 
So then, anyway, I was like, dude, this thing's going to fit. This thing's going to fit. And, like, my brother was going and getting radiators from, like, some dude on the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> I was like, you need to leave work right now and get me these radiators or it's not going to happen. So, we're, and it, anyway, made it happen. The thing, my, my other buddy's bike who I did the race with, his bike shit itself. So my whole team of three rode this bike for <laughs> all six hours, dude. And it fucking lasted. But uh, after building that, like, it was really fun to, like, do something with my dad again especially yeah. after living away for so long but then the vietnam thing we're riding these bikes and they're like lifens they're like some chinese bike or vietnamese bike or whatever yeah and because they're like little people like they're not vietnamese aren't big people so i know for like in in like indonesia they it's really hard to get anything over 250 cc's like there's some kind of regulation i don't know if vietnam's like that but yeah, it could be yeah. yeah but these things are like 150 cc right but they're like little harley sort of looking things yeah but it was so sick like and I'm, i've never really rode a bike on the road that much so i mean maybe like f- three hours max yeah and um so anyway we get there and i've got my girlfriend on the back the entire trip two and a half thousand k's but these bikes were sick because the whole group was on the same bikes so like no one had an advantage no one yeah you know but everyone could hold them just fucking wedge <laughs> so we're going up these we did one day where it was two thousand turns so just like that like i got sick of it yeah it was just so just these perfect turns up and down hills like through these mountain ranges it was the most fucking stunning day of like one of the most picturesque days i've ever been of anywhere i've ever been in the world and just constant turns but it was so cool because like the bike handled well but it just was a roach like it was so slow <laughs> so we're just like just absolutely feeding these things just all the way through every gear up these hills down these hills and it was forgiving like i had i fully washed the front one day i hit a bit of diesel like full lock I had to put my foot down front wheels just sliding off the road and saved it it's like if I was on a legit bike, like I never would have saved that. So then it made me think after building the, and the good thing is like everyone was the same speed, really. Like, yeah. you know, you kind of get dudes that would be better at cornering or whatever, but like but that, really. Have, have you seen the, uh, the Deus event called Slidetober? I think no. I was talking about it before, but yeah, I heard you talking yeah. about it a bit, but yeah, that, so it's, it's this, it's, it's an every October. It's a one day surf, one day moto, it's like two days moto one day is like motocross one day they do like a rally like a mini rally type thing and they had flat track and then surfing it's like a combined score but everyone has to race these little 150s and That's they're all so super serious. shit yeah and you can't take it serious because it's like you know what i mean like everyone's like on this shitty little bike yeah so it's extra fun that you know it's and it like, like levels the playing it levels field the playing yeah. field you know and you can't take yourself seriously on this thing so that that's pretty much what vietnam was yeah. like but it was fast and it, the the key though is it was fast enough to still go fun uh, yeah it was fast enough to have fun because you're holding wide open wide and you open feel like you're going fast but i mean we're still you're doing still like going. 80 90k right. through turns and stuff but like wedge to do it yeah you know it wasn't like you could just roll off and then you're yeah. on like a super duke or something and then you roll the throttle on and you're at 130 140 like yeah quick so that got me thinking to where i was like well me and dad built the the cr so why don't we do the opposite and buy like i'll get like a brand new or like not brand new but maybe like a 15 or 16 ktm 250f 
frame or like full chassis yeah just and then put like it in there xr 200 motor in it and like an air air cooled four stroke we should race it at uh the next 12 hour dude i would if wait seriously <laughs> seriously if you three if us three want to do, oh, do that it. race is there one it's, there's like a six hour eight hour or something right coming up pretty soon the eight hours in a couple of weeks is six hours at conondale yeah and that is a sick event but i really want it to rain because like the fucking dust (laughs) that track gets so Uh, brutal bro but yeah like well dude you can race it a day in the dirt that oh yeah that's right that's That's what what we're talking about yeah that'd be sick we should do that'd be funny because they do like do they do a three-man team race there yeah yeah, right i don't know what they do here but definitely the one in california they did a bunch of team races we could that thing would ride all day on one tank of gas too <laughs> <laughs> like we wouldn't have to pit stop but i seriously think that like say you have the 15 model ktm chassis yeah, it would handle like a dream it would handle like a dream and it would be so like it wouldn't be crazy slow you'd still be able to jump everything right but i think that's not ripping your arms out you could probably ride it all day and not get tired it'd be the i think it'd be like the funnest bike i've ever rode in my life that'd be fun i'm pretty committed to making that happen we i've been uh we've you know we built these like these xr400s for that baja that last baja trip what, what are the motors good in those things you reckon yeah super i mean they're just bulletproof you know yeah, that's what air I'm cooled they're they got like the 400s are like they're fat like they're fast enough you know like that's what i'm that's what i'm saying like they, they don't still, rev up real fast like they're yeah. a trail bike really but they're bulletproof you just hold the thing wide open for hours and hours and just like a tractor just keep going forever gets and, me excited uh, I, dude they're so fun to ride things like a cadillac you know <laughs> it's really just what like it is, hey? through all that you know there's room for a body in there. yeah dude it's fucking so smooth so yeah that's what i'm thinking i think we might need to yeah try and make that That'd happen. be fun i got i got all the shit to do it i just gotta get just get the bikes i wonder how much an old xr 400 is right now i don't know dude, even like a drz 400 or just any like air cooled piece of shit that's like yeah you could get I mean, get FMF to make grand. like a sick pipe for it. We could, or, be down with it, or just keep it super dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like the million dollar motorcycle that's actually shit. Yeah, but I think <laughs> it. Good, but I think it'd be like. <laughs> I just want to see Behrman just absolute like turn up like a super sick turn up but it's like an xr400 on the limit like it sounds so fucking weird oh imagine him doing like that farm jam jump over in new zealand just like the big oppo fucking turn down thing it'd probably be like i just i wonder how heavy those motors are compared to like um, a new motor there's not heavier. a lot well, they, them, but you're, you're you're getting rid of you know radiators and stuff which don't weigh a lot but you know mm, true getting rid of some of that dude that's like will be so weird to have a bike that just doesn't have radiators but it's got radiator shrouds that's what i was thinking like how would you do that you know because you just build like a, a brace just build a box yeah yeah you just build a little box what was the uh room for sponsors brah <laughs> <laughs> what was the off-road ledge dude's name that we were with this at the 12 hour Ballard. Oh, Ballard. Jeff Ballard. Yeah, Jeff Ballard. Yeah, Ballard. Jeff Dude, Dude, I need to talk to him so about we, this bike. He'd yeah, you, you should. He wants to come on the podcast. I want to get him hey, on the podcast. you got to get well. him on. He's a fucking So we Lord. were racing with him. So we, we had Transmoto. You know, they set us up with a bike, and we were on the Transmoto team. And they had the Transmoto has-beens, which was with Jeff Ballard and um, some other guys that I can't remember their name at the moment, but they're all legends. And then they Wait, had keep the talking. loose I'm ends. Listening. I'm going to give Chuck a microphone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep talking. And uh, 
And um, so I was like, oh, yeah, who's this guy? I'm like, I see this guy's got a TTR 225, like, trail bike. I'm like, oh, who's this fucking guy? And it's little that I know is this guy, Jeff Ballard, who I didn't really know who he is, but apparently he's, like, full, legend. full Aussie legend. And uh, he's out fucking ripping on this TTR. And then uh, he actually put – he went the other way. He put uh, – TTR forks on his KTM. So he had like a brand, like a new late model KTM with, with TTR forks on it. Yes, uh, the dudes at MX store, because like I think they sold. Um, yeah, he's he's a somehow yeah, affiliated yeah, with I those think dudes. They bought Ballards or something like right. that. And then they, sorry to everyone listening, but we're going to get chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> But um, yeah, I was just cracking up. Like it was such a like that's such an old school like that's dude thing to do. Like oh yeah, these forks are great off my '97 TTR, and he's got them strapped up to his brand new KTM. He's got like 20 year old forks on the thing, but he rips and he's it. ripping. Like he would he would have blown by half the field, and he's like pfft, more than that, and he's like 60. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he um. Of, like the boys have said like he really wants to come on the podcast he's like a great dude to get on oh uh, he's a cool dude we you know had a couple of beers after the race and yeah dude legend yeah, I'm sure he's got tales to tell. oh i would imagine I yeah but i think they're saying he's like he he did he won a gncc championship or something in america i don't know if that was right six of them holy what? shit He's won that many oh no, it was six. I think six Australian um, enduro oh, champ, yeah. six-time enduro. He's, he's won a lot. Of, plug that in the bottom of that, and you should have a microphone. Testies, one two testies. Oh hang on, go again. One two. Oi, he's on. There he is. We're on. We're on. Got this. Got this. Chuck it in here. Chuck it out, So everyone, this is uh, Mark, aka Mad Chuck. Um, so yeah, we've like we've been talking about you and i know yeah we're just like i know yeah we put we put well, uh, we put baby in a corner for this one but we just i just i didn't have enough cameras not enough room so I, not, I, not figured it out I, yet i started getting out and I, I lost track of what i was saying earlier but uh when we were at day in the dirt we had we had two t- we kind of had the deus teams and then um, we ended up having two teams we had which became known as the a team and the b team and uh so we, far as oh, hang on two <laughs> Chook's, Chook's life. Anyway, Chook's mic is now working. <laughs> we're, alive. we're improvising we're on, on the, the fly. fly. It's pretty much how I that's go about my whole life. It's full gypsy tail style. Full gypsy tail style too. Bring it up close too when you talk it. All right. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, there I he don't is. Know where I, am. All right. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I actually, I wanted to get both of you guys on here together, but just yeah, couldn't work out. And then you're going yeah. tomorrow, so Chook's always going to be around. We can yeah. we can get him get on. Get him on. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like I feel like we just created a, a team for day in the day. Yeah, we should. Um, yeah. Chick's coming off the B team, so uh, if he came up oh, you think on the Gypsy Tales A team, the Gypsy Tales A team, factory forest over here, bored his way onto the A team, bumps me from A back down to B. Who's a better rider out of you boys? Who who goes quicker? Chuck doesn't want to say him. With the him. wind behind him, he might get <laughs> The trophy, yeah, I, think I mean. he stays upright more. That's his <laughs> yeah. advantage. Yeah, the, the first place trophy that <clears throat> the A-team got, uh, um, 
I think, third, determines who's, who's the fastest rider. All right. So I like to keep my third place trophy up on the shelf <laughs> right where I can see it, just to remind me that there's cheaters out there that like to cut the track where no one's looking. <laughs> just remind me to work harder next time. Yeah. So how was all this animosity at the six hour, uh, the 12 hour when you guys well, actually had to, actually had to work together? Oh, no, it was good. Oh. Well, I hear that you've got the old yard sale fucking <laughs> yeah, first so. lap going on. No, so he, I, you know, I did the first two laps. Or no, uh, our other teammate, this guy Dave, Dave Gilmore, I think his name is, and uh, he did the first lap, brought it in. I did the next two laps, and I came in. It was real. The track's really tight. It was super dusty, like really tight, um, all single track pretty much. And it was a sick layout, but it's really technical. So I came in, and we're fired up. Like Transmoto had supplied the bikes. We had like you know, pretty much brand new. We we're on a brand new Husky, and then what did you ride? Did you ride a two stroke or a four stroke? Um, we started out on a Husky FX three fifty. Yeah, I literally rode that bike. That yeah, you probably guys that rode exact one. The, yeah, at yeah. the six hour last year, and, and then you had the three hundred as well. And then well, we the it was a two fifty TPI oh, two stroke cool. injected yeah. one. Yeah, that one was actually the best bike. But yeah, I brought the bike in, and um, the thing's like pretty much brand new. Like hasn't even I don't think anyone's even dropped it yet. I'm like, all right, Chuck, like uh, it's pretty tight out there, you know. Just it kind of slower is faster, you know. He's like, yeah, 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 I'm gonna take something. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just you know, I'm like, we got. We got 11 hours and 45 minutes to go. <laughs> Slow down. Yeah, well, the problem was I had to wait. I was the third guy to go out. So I'm standing there waiting anxiously. Like, You're I'm just, just getting psyched up. Yeah, yeah, by the time Forrester's come in, I'm just like, give me the bike. Like, take your hand. Like, get off already. Like, Dude. <laughs> hand it over. And he's like, slow as fast. It's pretty rough. And I'm like, yeah, took off. I got about a half a lap in and just yard sailed the thing. <laughs> Cardied it. It was like, I, uh, as soon as I cut it, because it was like brand new, this like husky, yeah. it was 2019, and I yarded it and flipped the thing, and then uh, like it was upside down in the bush, and I was creased on the ground. And I was just like, oh, what have I done? And I was thinking, oh, I hope this thing's not folded, because I felt like I was, I was probably about 10 minutes in already. <laughs> that was about uh, all I'd uh, done. And there's no way of getting back either. Yeah. Oh, no, you were out there. Too. I yeah, was like, fucked. I was <laughs> thinking, like, cause straight away, I creased myself. I was so sore, and it was like, I had a moment where I was like, all right, how do I get back to the pit from here? Like, yeah. I don't even want to do this. Like, I'm over it. And it's not like you know where you're going. Like, yeah. you, get, you literally have no yeah, idea where the fuck you are. Yeah, 30-minute lap times. Yeah. Like, you're out there. Dude, I did one. Uh, I did the six out. It was me, Andy Wigan from Transmoto and yeah. then yeah. Uh, yeah. Trent. And Trent, I get there and I missed... I, I knew that they were going to do, like, the first two laps and I was over with, like, Maddie and them. So, anyway, I get, like... I was like... I wonder why I was so tight. Oh, I just got back from Thailand. So I just did that fight camp in Thailand and I wasn't going to do the race at all because I just trained for 12 days straight to uh, four hours a day. So I was fucked. And then Andy called me. He's like, well, if you want to ride with us, you can ride with us. I was like, Duh, I got it. I'll just go ride. So yeah, I like, I got up there, passed out on my swag with like, just, I got my swag off the top of the roof of the car, yeah. put it on the grass laying on my swag and I slept for like four hours I was completely roach so then I slept I we, didn't we had pretty much the same same <laughs> like approach to it yeah. got well, there the night before fucked yeah, yeah fucked yeah well you driving guys, all day you guys yeah you yeah. just went late eh? yeah. but yeah so then I sleep all night all day uh, all morning and then I think I get up like super super late and so by the time I get there my teammate Trent on the first lap had busted his foot and he like took his boot off and uh it was just black dude like black massive 
And he's like, ah, oh, no, nah, I don't know if it's broken. I was like, that's 100% broken. <laughs> yeah. Like, you cannot go back out and ride. He was, like, going to go ride again. And um, and then he ended up, like, I think the painkillers sort of wore off a bit. And then he was like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's actually pretty cooked. Yeah. But, yeah, so we did the exact same thing as what you guys did. One dude down, like, yeah. pretty much instantly. Yeah. Well, I, I toughed it out for the race because well, I'm yeah, you were, but then, but yeah, then Kim's guys, son we, dislocated yeah, his shoulder. Yeah, Kim, yeah, Tim, we, right? We lost yeah. Kim's son. Yeah, he he blew his shoulder out first, his first lap in. So then uh, I ended up picking up the slack. I think. Uh, How many laps did, would you have done? I did then? six. Yeah, and, and they and those guys did four. Yeah, so it was like six, you know about twenty five to thirty minutes is what my lap times were. So yeah, it was. It was a solid day and it was so rough so dusty you were like dude you couldn't see you know what i mean dude, like yeah, you couldn't you like, couldn't see like your hand this far in front of your yeah, face like it was yeah. so gnarly but that so, race they always get rain like that's the one i've always that's why we went do. down yeah. all the way down there because we've seen the videos like oh it's like chocolate cake yeah, every time because like, they hit so us up prime. and they come down like transmitter i was like hey want to come into this we'll get entertainment and stuff and they'll like check the video out and we've seen it we'll just like fuck yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then we got there and they're like oh I haven't had rain for four like, months four months <laughs> oh. we're like it's still gonna be sick like how could it be so bad it was just dusty like it, it's sick though like that's the kind of race where you really earn your beer at the end of yeah. it yeah and it's like oh, that yeah. first fucking sip of beer dude oh, after yeah. a transmoto so race good. is just like yeah if you could bottle that feeling, like <laughs> you got the beer and then that feeling, yeah. you're like, I'm drinking that. Dude. I'm an alcoholic at this point. It was so funny because all day it was like pretty much just going like, fuck, this is so grueling. Like, dude, like the neck, the thought of like doing another, another lap, yeah. lap is like, fuck, Forrest is almost in. Like at one point I was sitting down, I looked around, I was like, he's Forrest out there. Like, fuck, I'm next. Like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, you know, just like, just dreading thinking, it. All right, yeah. I'm just going to mentally get myself through this lap. And then the second the race finished and I knew I didn't have to count any more laps, it was like, I instantly was like, how sick was that day? Like, <laughs> what a fucking epic day. <laughs> like, dude, like, so pumped. Like, truck was sick. Like, the minute I knew I didn't have to do another lap. But when I was doing it, it was just like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I get that. I almost chase that feeling now. Like that dream ride shoot right. and why like I just complained about it yeah, for yeah, like yeah, all yeah. the fucking shit that went wrong. Right. Literally the minute I fucking boarded the plane, I was like, yeah, I'd do all this again right now. Yeah. And now I sort of like chase that shit. I've, I really think that that's, that's the secret. Yeah. Like what you just said there, you've got to go find something that fucking sucks. Yeah. Sucks yeah. so bad in the moment. <laughs> And it's just complete and utter fucking torture. But the second that thing's done, yeah, you're just like, holy fuck, that was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. I have to do that again. But like, you know who else? Like Rob from the so the guy that owns Nobby Nobby Underwear. Yeah. They're like one of our main sponsors. Right. Dude's a fucking savage, bro. He's, I think he said he was leaving now to go to do this marathon, and he just runs marathons. And then like, oh, he's like, oh man, sorry, I haven't spoke too much this week, like bloody running's just been killing me and he's just sounds i'm like why would you run but it's the same thing like he does yeah. these fucking 50 kilometer running races and at the end of it it's like that's the feeling you get and even um vietnam was like that yeah vietnam well, we're doing these rides say hardships are the essence of the traveler's tale you know it it's really fucking is true bro yeah it's crazy like we i was sitting there and and like we had one day where it was just piercing down rain it was 
fucking cold. I couldn't see anything. There was like the sketchiest <laughs> roads, like the sketchiest people, buffalo just walking out in front of you. And I'm like, I'm going to die today. But then I'm like, and I'm thinking like, this isn't a holiday. This is yeah. ridiculous. But then it was so worth it. By the time it was over, I said to Jason, the guy that owns the tour, I was, he's like, how's it all been? You know, like, you know, is it what you thought it was going to be? I was like, dude, I got one regret. And he's like, what's that? And I was like, I regret that I couldn't be the level of friends I am with you guys now at the start of this trip. (laughs) Like that's the only thing that could have made that trip better because we all went through that same shit together. And uh, you boys will probably have that now with the 12 hour. For sure. That experience. And would have had it with, well, down the dirt left you salty, but yeah, but no, it's it's (laughs) like, but yeah, it is like you get that, you know what you went through was like actually legitimately fucking hard to do. That's the thing. It's like, if it was easy to do, it's like not worth doing you know what i mean it's that it's not, like yeah. might be worth doing but it's not worth as much to yeah, you yeah it's it's funny it's like it's because it's so grueling it's like guys who like toby price that do dakar mm. you know what i mean like because it's so grueling that's what makes it so good to do it mm. to finish it and get it done i was so pumped that we actually made it through the whole day like after i ate shit straight off the bat <laughs> and i was like so i i was just like i was hurt and i was like all right i gotta i just wanted to keep cutting laps anyway because i was like I wanted to be part of the team when we got to the end, you know what I mean? I didn't want to... I just wanted to, be, like, make it to the end, even though I was hating it at the time. But... It is so worth it, psyched, yeah. He's still trying to get that A-team spot for next year. Hey, well, you're, you're on the Gypsy Tales go-kart A-team. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make... Dude, Ballard. No, you know what it was? Is is that the night, the day before, they, they showed um, Paying the Price, Toby's oh, yeah. film. And everyone's just like, oh, oh I'm going to be... I'm gonna race to car, you know. Dude, like everyone, you, that film has a way of like getting you like psyched, like oh, he like that's you're all inspired, you know. Yeah, dude. everyone's going out there trying to race, and then an hour in, you're like, fuck. I don't want to be Toby anymore. I don't want to be Toby anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, that's all I was thinking out there. I was like, how the fuck do enduro riders do this? Like, for, yeah. like constantly all year round. I'm just like, this is so brutal. Dude, that's uh, like saying all that. How rough and bad the track was. The guys put on a sick event. Like it was epic. Fuck, like, they are the best in and they, yeah. The amount of effort and work they put into it. It was dialed. There was the only thing that they couldn't control was the Isn't fact that it hadn't rained for yeah. that long. You know what I mean? Right. So everything else that they'd done was dialed. Yeah, like, was the epic. whole event was fine. I, I guarantee you, even the hurt guys out there, yeah, were coming in saying how good it was. Like, yeah. dude, Mackay is sick. Like the Gun Valley one. I want to try and do that one. I did it last year. I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off. But um, that was cool. Like the track was perfect. Yeah. Like they, it was the same. They didn't really have a lot of rain. But have you? do you ever remember watching like Gun Valley on like motocross, like nationals and shit Is back in the day? The um, It's like a sandy sort of track with like, it's like a white sand, but it's all um, up and down hills. No, I don't know the one. Oh, dude, it's not the, the it's the best the track. Goana track the Goana nah that's it uh, Coonabarra brand oh Coonabarra but um, yeah I think Gun Valley is like top three tracks in Australia yeah, right. like hands down and I used to race there as a kid it was the fucking best dude but um, so they've got so you do like a full lap of the enduro track and then at the end you hit the motocross track and like that, it's all watered it's just yeah. prime time dude like I was telling you guys yesterday, like my bike nipped up over the finish line of the the motocross track there, but that lap was the most fun I've ever had on a motorcycle. Like <laughs> after, because I, I don't ride at all. Like I really I ride day in the dirt and then a transmoto event every yeah. year. 
so like I did the first lap and by the end of it I just sort of I was like alright I got a bit of balance back and I you know I'm starting yeah. to like I get the feeling back and then I just hit that track and I've rode it a bunch of times like I knew the track I could just kind of send it as fast as I could straight away man that that lap was like perfect that was yeah. the best feeling I've ever had on a bike so that that event that event was so good and that track was so good that when my uncle no I wanted to do a lap with my uncle because he raced it they all come up from Cairns but I did it with Sam Moore and JB and I think that Sam come in or maybe it was Guy Streeter he come in right after the the finished the, like the checkered lake so I, I just grabbed a bike and went out with my uncle so I could do a ride that last lap was just like insanely good it was so fun and and because i i guess i'd rode my way into yeah. like feeling good at the I, end I was of feeling it. like at the end of the 12 hour i was actually feeling pretty good like i was it's weird how that works yeah. eh? like i was i mean I, I i ride a lot of that kind of stuff at home like i'll race a lot of like you know it's kind of we call them just off-road races but like they're sort of enduro i guess you could say mm. but i love that like punishing yourself like the suffering mm. you know just because afterwards you just feel like yeah i just accomplished that not that you don't suffer in motor like just straight motocross but it's so different you know yeah I mean, it's a different it's a different sure. different kind of suffering you know but um yeah i was feeling so good by the end of it i was like oh it's over i was happy it was over but i was kind of like oh i can go I can go. I can go another lap <laughs> yeah well, we need to we definitely need to do day in the day isn't it, it's no coincidence that the two best events of the year are the Transmoto yeah, they run and the sand and dirt and it's like the same people run. It's like yeah. they just fucking get what's yeah. going on, you yeah. know. But yeah, I think they, no. they the the beauty of both of those is like they like keep it from being too serious. Mm. Well, you know what I mean? Like it's like if you're out there just trying to win, you're yeah. kind of a dickhead. Yeah, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Even though like everyone at the end of the day, boys will be boys. Everyone wants to win. But it's like they take it's a non-stressful like no pressure. Dude, for sure. You know what I mean? Like they did a foot race to determine the the starting position. Yeah. Which is like takes everybody down a notch. You're like, oh yeah, we can't take it this serious. And it, it is cool, like that it's the everyman thing. And Dan yeah. the Dirt has that as well. Like you know, we our pits was like Toby, and then it was my mate Ives. Right. Day in the Dirt, who like just started riding, and their bikes are right next to each other. Neither of those dudes. Yeah think they're better and man that's like i get like a ton of shit on youtube about the um like the way i talk to toby and stuff but i'm like you guys don't get that like he's a part of our crew and like no one talks to him like he's toby Rose. no he doesn't seem like that and kind of not, dude yeah. in the small encounters i've had with him he seems like a to- just a normal dude you know? yeah and i like, mean I, I mean i think most guys are really when you get them up behind you know behind but the problem is is that in most events never give you that access sure yeah and then when people the it's, it's so rare that you get that access that when you do you think you've got to treat them some kind of way yeah but it's like that's not the way it rolls and you know I I get shit for like oh you, you know respect that you're talking to a legend yeah like he's a fucking legend what he's done but it's not uh, on a day-to-day like he's not Still winning Dakar boy. he's not winning <laughs> Dakar every single day like <laughs> 360 other days out of the year he's just a fucking dude that always raids the fridge yeah like it's super <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. but it's like it's cool for an event to treat people in that yeah. same way yeah and I think that that creates like a 
really good culture. Like you were saying, the fucking KDM boys at one got like hammered. Oh and yeah. Same as the oh, same as the yeah. Husky boys. That was so hammered. They were trying to get them to turn the Jennies off. Now like no, like cranking the music back <laughs> up. They were that terps, and then like they knew they were like ah, it's all good because they like they had like a raffle at the start of the. It was like event. a charity oh, fundraiser charity thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, money went to charity. But what you get, what you got for it was like a two-minute two head, minute head start. Yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So they're like, we got two minutes on the Husky guys. It's all good. Like, now just knocking back drinks. And <laughs> they end up, I think they end up bringing it home still. Yeah. But, um, dude, they were hammered. And it was like... But that's like the best shit, dude. Yeah, like, that's, that's the, the best you know, shit yeah, ever. Yeah, like it was just like, they knew, like, if they didn't feel like it, they were just like, eh, they were going to stop anyway. You know what I mean? So... But, like, Andy that was running it, he was saying, like, he goes, we pre- there's no rules to it, but it's kind of like, you know, don't make a team of four guys that all want to win it. Like, just put two yeah. fast guys on and put two shit guys on. Like, you know, in the spirit of the event, don't be a dickhead, really, is all I don't all think I've rules. ever <laughs> even looked at where we've finished. Yeah. Well, I've we, done it a bunch of times. I think we went from, like, 29th to hundred and. 29th <laughs> in like so, one lap and everyone's so just like good. ah whatever oh, you think you have it <laughs> yeah you think you have a shot at it for a second you're like ah oh, yeah maybe we can and then next thing you're like ah oh, fuck where's yeah, the beers funny. yeah <laughs> no nah, it's like it's the way it should be dude yeah. if you um a race where you can go out and race but no one really cares about winning is like the best shit dude, ever. like day in the dirt in the states like Toby Price was starting at the very he was taking the last row you know what I mean because I'll give him like 30 seconds each row goes like 30 seconds he was starting at the very last one even though the pros went first like just so he could fly through the fucking he was just like, giving everyone else a chance it. it was just like yeah he was pretty much winning them all anyway but like you know just nothing serious about it he's fun to you know let everyone go and fucking ride Wouldn't, he probably didn't care if he came he would 50th, not give like, a yeah. flying yeah. fuck yeah if you want it actually knowing what he's been through winning that stuff it actually makes it fucking hard because then he's got like shit he has to bring home yeah like i remember the first year he won it i was living at josh strang's house and then toby was staying there and then he was like he just left a fucking scooter like he won like this custom painted troily design scooter he's like mm. a scooter yeah it was gangster too <laughs> and then he got like a shotgun couldn't bring that home yeah, so it's right. like even if he does win it's like he can't even fucking bring it home yeah. that, that was like funny with vietnam because obviously his wrist was jacked and so he sat in the vi- dude it was fucking sketchy he was sitting in the van this <laughs> vietnamese dude was just a straight gangster like could fucking handle colin mccray back in the day like so they got the van and I'd ride at the back with mum and dad a couple of times. And uh, so you'd stop every like hour or whatever. Right. And then you'd like, they'd, whatever like a cool view was or whatever, they'd um, just stop photos, put the drone up, like whatever, have a drink. And the van, like we're on the bike and we're like passing cars and like all these ranges and shit. And you'd be like, ah, oh, we'd pretty much dust whatever, whatever car or like, especially like an old Toyota van. And this motherfucker would roll up like 35 seconds behind you every time and I, was, I was started saying to Toby I was like dude how how fast is he going because like everything's a blind turn and we're cutting every turn on the bike because at least you can yeah. react a bit and Toby's like bro this is fucking gnarly <laughs> like this guy is so good at driving these roads and then there was one bit where even I was like I was like my I could feel my front brake starting to go 
and then the back brakes are drum brakes so you can't really feel shit there yeah but it felt like my rear tire was getting like hot and soft like i was starting to come around i was like whoa i'm like fuck this this we're heating up like we're on the brakes and the turns are like tight there's like just so much weight going down anyway toby shows me he's like dude check this out he's filming the driver get bottles of water out of the esky and just like pour them on the front brakes of the van because like they're just like like the whole thing steaming up so homie's just pushing it out and then on the last day well the day that it rained toby was just like loving it he was just filming everyone he's like oh yeah this is for all you fucking bastards when user at home texts me good luck tomorrow and i'm sleeping in some fucking dog shit little deal and i've got like a broken wrist in dakar he's like it's so good to see you guys be cold and suffering on a bike when you don't want to be but that that trip was like because it was 10 days which is what dakar is i mean fuck this is the first year I really watched that race, like followed Gnarly, it. bro. I mean, I've always seen, like known what it is and stuff, but like I don't even know if I'd want to do it. Like I like that kind of I shit. Don't even and I don't think even Toby know. Wants to do it. I'm just like fuck, like yeah. Oh, you know, the like, only guy who wants to do it is the guy who wins it, and that's only at the very end. Like he's probably like yeah, yeah, yeah once that. you finish. But then like when it comes to roll around again, they feel like fuck. I don't want to do this to come second, dude. <laughs> like, everybody else in that race would just be going. Yeah, even getting on the podium of that race would be like, fuck, why did I even do this? Yeah. No, I suppose you still get paid no, it's, money. It's yeah, well, and it's just kind of like it's a good accomplishment, yeah. you know? You, just to say you finished that's a fucking... For most people, I think the goal would be to just fucking Dude, finish. so many people go over there and they can't finish. Yeah. yeah. Like even Benny, Benny Brabeck, this... No, what, what's uh, his Ricky name? Bra- Ricky, Ricky, Ricky Brabeck. Brabeck. Yeah. yeah. Like, fuck, he got jacked again this year. Dude, I know. I feel so bad for him. Yeah, it's like that's a brutal race, man. Even yeah. a factory Honda can't finish that thing. But this year wasn't even like that there, hard. There was some like sus stuff that went down with his bike. Did you hear about that? Yeah, little bits and yeah, pieces. Like there's like there's always there was, weird shit. That there goes was shit on there. like where suspension was all like like someone had come and changed all the oh, settings yeah, overnight yeah. on the one night and then stripped out like the clickers and stuff. And there was um that like Toby does he ended up not wanting me to talk about it but there was like a guy that he like caught cheating and shit really yeah and then like he said something and then he was getting all these crazy messages and like it was like fucking well, it gets like super gnarly because yeah. like South Americans want South Americans to win right well that's what that's what Ricky was saying like I didn't I didn't speak to him directly but he I heard like he was telling people there's some fucking shit like it's it's kind of a weird mm. it's a weird thing like it's its with, own little deal yeah like where they'll change rules mid race and stuff like that, and that's like a that's a real thing. They'll well, dude, last year Toby rode. There was like some stage that they canceled the stage because it got like crazy hot. Right. But Toby missed like he was so far out in front that we were talking about that. That's yeah, he missed the point like yeah, the way where, where they stopped the stage. Yeah, so they like, stopped it and then he just went <laughs> and it's like sorry and then do it again no, yeah nothing like so he had to ride like it was an extra 260 k's or something and like heavy. we were riding about 260 k's a day so he fuck rode an extra what we rode in just yeah. one day and i was yeah. just like fuck all of that yeah. but yeah they just change it and then they're like no, yeah, instead sorry. of going like oh you finished the stage like that whatever your time was they were like no you got to run the stage again with everyone like what the fuck's that about like, and then not to mention like you can't change a motor in dakar like if yeah, you so change a motor you get yeah. yeah you get a 20 minute penalty so like you just put an extra 400 k's but he was saying too that the because like the race was shorter this year but because it's in sand dunes 
it's like a three to one ratio. So like one kilometer of like normal yeah. riding is three kilometers yeah, in the dunes. Sure. Right. So like just the extra work that gets put on those bikes and shit in the dunes is just oh, fucking. Oh, for sure. And Sand on the bikes is so hard on, on equipment. And then when he, you could see it in the video where he takes off when that Quintanella crashed. And um, you just see it's just like he has to just fucking feed it just to get the thing going. Yeah. It's like imagine how like. Oh, the, those bikes are, are heavy, heavy too. Yeah. Like that Especially shit full would be, of fuel. Yeah, that shit would be brutal, dude. Fuck. So imagine yeah, like know. the feeling that we get from finishing a Transmoto. <laughs> yeah, they're doing that every day for two weeks, I know. dude. Yeah. Every Literally. day for two, yeah. and then sleeping on the fucking dirt. <laughs> yeah, that shit. I don't think I'll ever do the Dakar. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't We've know. been just like just walking around the couple days after the Transmoto. We've been going like adding hours to the transmoto like now it's the 36 hour just because we're hobbling around like still feeling <laughs> yeah, the transmoto we're still, we're still, we're <laughs> yeah, still like going. it's the trans, transmoto 48 hour now like oh i'm still <laughs> fucked up <laughs> oh that's just funny it kind of makes me want to do one again though, yeah right? i know that's, i'm yeah. already looking at it i'm like hey it's kind of there yeah <laughs> at the so time, i was like why would anyone want to do this <laughs> fucking race is stupid yeah. uh, there's the guys that are iron manning it dude oh, right oh my god this one dude did um that, and they like nearly fucking win. Oh yeah, he They're was way like up that, there. Yeah, not that far there. off. The funny thing is, you can't like just sit down and cruise along. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it doesn't really like you'd think like oh whatever they'll just sit down and cruise around for nineteen laps or whatever they do. But it's like if you're sitting down, you can't like you can't just sit yeah, down. Yeah, no, it's too trails. tight and like, technical. You have to like yeah. you, you kind of have, have to charge. Yeah, yeah, you have to charge to get through it, or you're laying down like, and they're doing nineteen laps. That shit is crazy, dude. I'm uh, I'm actually doing a trip, um, just in like two weeks' time. Actually, I'm going over to South Africa and um, with these guys. Uh, they have a company. They're, it's called Moto Safari. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, they actually do a Vietnam um oh, tour thing yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 but it's yeah. more of like a, it's like an enduro. It's an yeah, off-road yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. So um, yeah, I got linked up with this guy Wes who who owns um Moto Safari, and and we're going over to do a South Africa one. He's no that he shit. wants to introduce, and um, it's gonna be like I think it's like two and a half thousand kilometers, ten days, just circling sort of South Africa. That'd be sick. So I'm fuck. looking forward to that. It should be really cool. Get so to see lions weeks. and shit. Yeah. So I get I go home for about a week and then I'm going there. Have you surfed over there? I've never been to South oh, Africa. Dude, are you gonna surf? Yeah, over I'm gonna there? surf. We're gonna go to J Bay and oh. um. Yeah, I think we, we it kind of like starts out in Cape Town and, and we go inland and kind of go through the savannah and and see you know get to see lions and shit like that and then come around and we hit the coast and then we kind of follow the coast the rest of the, the whole bottom half and it's like. I think it's about 80% dirt roads and 20% highway. And we'll be on um, sick. some big Honda Africa Twins. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, Africa so it'll be Twins proper, like, Makes yeah. <laughs> Dude, that whole, um, the whole Vietnam thing, like, like I said, I never really rode, like, road bike stuff. This has really only yeah. been motos. And it really opened my eyes up to, like, what you can enjoy. Oh, for sure. You know, like I yeah. really, I didn't think that, I honestly didn't think that I'd be that pumped on the riding, but I got a whole new appreciation for the, just the riding element. Like by the end of it, dude, after two and a half, two and a half thousand Ks on a bike and it was just all turns every day, like, oh, pardon me. Um, I just, just like starting to like get these flowy lines that I was kind of getting and I was really, you know, you could play 
with stuff like i'd have one day where i was like breaking real hard into stuff then i'd have other days where i was like not breaking and just rolling through everything and just changing lines and you know then you even get adjusted to the speed and like you know the first day i was like hesitating a little bit or not not going as hard as i could but then the end of it it's like you just spend so much time on these bikes like you feel so comfortable so it's like even for a dirt bike guy that spent my whole life riding dirt bikes i just got such a like appreciation for it and i enjoyed it as much as i've like there was riding like the day we rode the western ho chi minh trail the hands down the best day i've ever had on two wheels in my life yeah and it's on like a shitty and i was on a dog shit <laughs> dog shit's like being harsh no no but, you no. know what i mean but yeah. in terms of like if you compare that to like an r1 yeah. it's right. dog shit so it's like to ride on that it was and it's perfect i wouldn't want to do it on another bike right a because i'd fucking die <laughs> like the road just invite you to go so fast but it was just like really opened my eyes now so when you talk about like that south africa trip and the same guy runs a cambodia trip Hmm. so it's like my eyes are now open and i can see why my dad was like you have to go you have to go you have to go and at the start i was like i don't really want to ride a 150 through vietnam you know yeah you got moto stuff in your head you're like yeah 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 it's yeah, like Cooper well, race, <laughs> Cooper Webb raced that when he was ten. Yeah, it's kids' bike, man. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, so man. but yeah, like now I'm like, man, we should do a lot more of this shit. Yeah, and even a dirt bike guy can enjoy that ride. Yeah, you know, for sure. My whole uh, sort of where moto came from for for me and for my family, for my dad was was my grandfather. He was he he started out like after he got out of the military, he he bought a Harley and then mm. he his thing was he just he was into touring so he'd just go around the country and um he ended up getting really into like bmws and stuff and his whole thing and like i guess it's really popular with like with the bmw crowd is like um joining they call it the million mile club so mm. it's like you put a million million miles like they log it and no shit but yeah like so he uh dude he spent pretty much his whole life just just riding and like logging as many miles as he can he did he did all of all of the United States, Canada. He went over to Europe, did a just full Euro tour. Yeah, it was crazy, man. I don't know. I don't know what the final number that he finally reached, but um, is he? Did he pass away? No, like, he's still alive. Sp- still alive. Dude, yeah, he actually now he has one of those. He's eighty six years old, and now he has one of those like three wheeled ones. Oh, Have you seen yeah, those? Yeah, like yeah, he can't yeah, ride yeah. a bike anymore, so he got one of those and cruises around. He what lives in Florida. Fucking gangster, dude. He's a gangster. <laughs> That's straight gangster dude. shit right there. I oh yeah, tell me I can't ride two wheels. Boom, plus one bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think they told him that he couldn't. I think he just, just couldn't, couldn't do, he couldn't it do it. He's like, yeah. I'm fucking 86. I can't hold this thing up anymore. You know, if I tip over, I'm done. But what yeah. a fucking jig. Can you so imagine if like, it. Oki straps his like walking frame <laughs> <laughs> to the back and just like sparks flying off the that's back. That's pretty much how, what's going on. Oh, that's but yeah, so that, that's pretty much where, where the motorcycle fever probably comes from for me. It was from him. Mm. And um, he's, still, he's still got the fever at 86. It's it's crazy to think that we're going to be 86 at some point like I know. not that far away hopefully but, well, hopefully <laughs> yeah true but i think age is just so different now than what it was yeah like i'm sure like your granddad's like that's a rare dude right for his era right that's that's pretty old right I yeah mean, but to sure. still be doing shit yeah but like imagine us like 
I just think now, obviously, we know about how to look after ourselves. We're not doing work that's fucking our bodies over. We're not in the Navy and in the Army and doing crazy shit. But it's like there's so much technology that's going to let us do this for, like, a fucking long time. Like, Wigan's... I don't know how old Wigan is, but he's not a young dude and he's still out there riding. Like, there's so... Jet Ballard. It's like, nowadays, man, I just feel like we are living in a blessed era to where like we can all be doing this shit like even me with jujitsu like that's a fucking like look at my fingers today just from like gi burn <laughs> like that's just from some dude's fucking collars rubbing my fingers off yeah but like i want to do that shit when i'm 60 65 yeah i know i used to always think like i had this idea when i was like you know early 20s that there was like a cap on like, it was like a cutoff yeah, yeah i'm like at some point i can't right anymore like it's capped it's done and like you think that age is like obviously because you watch racing and stuff you're like once you're 30 or whatever like that's it you you're can't yeah. anymore but it's like and then you see people like ballard who are just hammering out there and you're just like fuck i want to be dude he was going so fast that you're like fuck what am i doing what right? am i doing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, fuck, i hope i'm that fast when i'm 60 yeah. and like caballero and stuff like it yeah. yeah he's out there riding and i'm like hero straight up like i still like i want to be doing that like when there was a time where i thought it was like at some point you just gotta you gotta stop stop. you can't physically do it anymore and then like but even if you can't like my dad doesn't really ride moto but he went and did this vietnam thing and like for him that just fully had he had that same light bulb thing like i can just do this shit now yeah so it's like that you can't always do yeah do more shit but we just live in a time now where like because dude i grew up I turned 30 last year and I grew up thinking like same shit I'd be over and out by 35 with like all physical activity but my uncle Glenn he's 60 something and he rides his mountain bike every single day and it's not easy riding like he fucking rips and it's like all like Olympic cross country uphills and shit yeah you know so it's like we just live in a different time man it's so gnarly to think that we could we can't all be doing this shit. And we can all still be talking about it at that, old, that yeah. age too, really. I know. I hope you would be that badass at that age. <laughs> it's just that's, yeah. that's the time it's funny. now. I've, I turned 30 and I can, in the States, that's a vet for motocross. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's 35, so yeah. you can't do it. So like over there, because I got like, you know, obviously people like Forrest and everyone, I got mates over there and stuff like that. So I've been going over there and doing the races because I can do the vets class and it's like, it's the most fun racing I've ever had racing my entire life and it's like the veterans class, you know yeah. what I mean? And I'm like, I'm looking forward to the 40 plus class, the 50 plus class. I'm watching guys do it. Yeah, like, dude, 100%. They're having more fun than yeah. anyone who's like, the, like you, all of a sudden the weekend turns and it becomes the like, all the younger guys, all the juniors, all the 18 year old kids and it's like work for them and yeah. like the other guys from the weekend before are all just having the best time of their life just drinking like, beers yeah. racing your buddies you know no one's taking it too serious everybody's gotta get to work in the morning Dude. yeah that's you know what i mean too, yeah. mammoth no one's been training everyone's out of shape yeah you know? that's it too it's just like <laughs> did you did you do mammoth yeah i've done mammoth I've Dude, done, that's yeah. the other thing i wish this I last did. year was so did fun. you go up as well yeah, we, we, we... Oh, well, he was on a different week. He did yeah, the vet weekend. I did the vets weekend, oh, so that was okay. I'm not old enough yet. Vets race. And, um, Actually, I did the 25-plus class, but... Yeah. See, I wanted to get this... It was fooled up, the 25-plus class. That one gets full pretty quick. Yeah, but, yeah. It's um, hard to get into that race, man. Yeah, you should get a qualifier or yeah, hope someone the, 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 the They hold, like, a vets weekend beforehand, so, mm. like, the first weekend's vets, and then they sort of ha- run all the kids, like 
kind of during the week and then like all the 50s 60s and stuff like that and then they and then it comes up to like you know all the 250b 25 plus mm. 250a i don't know if they do a 250a yeah, they do. I yeah. think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think they do. That's like all the young, fast dudes. But like the first weekend, like it's like totally sold out. Can't get a spot. Like mm. most fun weekend I've ever had racing. It's epic. Like yeah, it was yeah. so good too because it's all like McGrath and Nick Way. Yeah, all the all the Sleater old boys there. Do it. Yeah. yeah, like my buddy Adam Chatfield was there. He won it. He ended up winning it and beat fucking. McGrath and really yeah and like he was it was his first vet race as well so oh that's sick he was on a tear yeah he had a hell ride and it was fucking epic though because those guys are all battling and it's funny too because and they've all got like what you don't see is how much history all those yeah, boys have to get like yeah, they all like, really know each other like really well yeah and right. it's weird because it's like all of a sudden guys like like you know Nick Way is battling with McGrath who like in their primes McGrath was a hundred times better than Nick Way. Not no offense to Nick Way, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like now they're on the same level, like this age thing, it's slowly brought them closer together yeah, the and all of a sudden Yeah, and they're battling for they all want the trophy. They all want to win, you know what I mean? They all still want to win. It's like it's some of the best racing I've ever seen. It was so fucking good. That Glen like, Helen vets weekend is fucking sick for the world best. Yeah. Man, my my best friend that like I grew up racing with him, he's forty something. Oh fuck. And um, he he said, like, I stitched him up one year. Like, my visa, I had, like, visa problems. So I was like, come do World Vets, come do World Vets. Got deported. Like, <laughs> not deported, but I had to leave. Yeah. And then, uh, so I, like, stitched him up. And then he got, like, third. So then the next year, he was only going to do it once. And then, like, a bunch of the, like, local sponsors in Cairns, like, rallied together so yeah. we could do it again. And I was there. And then we ended up fucking winning the thing with him. He won the 40 plus class. And it was like, this yeah, shit, dude, I was like fucking in tears and shit. <laughs> and it was like crazy. It came down to the last lap. But it was so fucking cool, man. Like he come and stayed with me and my friend Nick. And uh, it was Nick's house. I lived at Nick's. And um, we'd, we yeah, we just rented a U-Haul. And like every day I got Don Maeda gave us a, a bike. So he had like a Transworld bike to ride and went down and we built it out the back. It was such a sick experience yeah. to like share that with my best friend who I grew up racing with. And, uh, and like then for him to win it. And like, I, dude, I stole this guy who was in fourth and his chick was pit boarding and he was in like a solo fourth. And as was in second. And if, if the dude got, if the dude passed him, then he would have won the overall. But if as it stayed in second, he like he wins yeah, the overall. Yeah. So I just run up and I'm like, your dude's solid in fourth. Give me that fucking pit board. And she was like, what? So I just like got it, r- grabbed it, like need, you need second and like run out on the track. <laughs> and then it was, uh, you know where you, I don't know if the track's there, but it's like that sort of sand section where you like jump into the sand and then you go left, right, right. and then you're onto the start straight again. So it was like that section and then I so I ran there and then I ran to like the next turn. So I was like running around the track, like trying to beat him to like, you have to fucking read this, like this is urgent. And the guy finished, man, half a bike length behind him. Like he held him off. It was the craziest shit. But yeah, like yeah, again two, you know, old dudes and that was like the sickest weekend we've ever had was like when we're old, you know. I've wanted to do that like Yeah, you'll get there. You'll do that one for sure. Hypes to do that one. Fucking oath, dude. It'll be sick. He's like Mark's 
borderline might as well just move to California at this point. He's, I'd say it's probably on the cards. It's <laughs> like, oh, every month, it's like, oh, fuck, I think I'm going to come over for that race. Oh, this is going on. Oh, this shit. Get job offers. Yeah. Ask me to come over. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah, fuck. Can it's you a, align that with a race and I'll... Uh, <laughs> I'll but that's it. what's cool about even the stuff that you do. Like, you can go on glass yeah. boards anyway. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it, I kinda, guess. That's how it's going. It's, that's what's crazy is, like, <clears throat> there's actually, like, with just board building in general, like, mm. it's it's almost... It's like a dying art. Like, especially guys that do what he does with, like, resin color and stuff. Like, we... We, like uh, uh, the factory that I'm at, at Aloha Glassing at home, like we can't find a, a qualified guy that does color work, like resin work, like like what Mark does, or just anyone. Period. Like they just don't exist. Like there's no young kids coming up really that, like that are coming up and doing that, you know. Mm. Whereas like maybe in the '80s or something, like there would have been a bunch of them. Like there's people all over like building boards, and but now it's like it just dude. The, doesn't exist like it's even around here too like it's hard to find someone that knows how to do that it's crazy like what well, and you it's know, like what other i don't know any other really industries that are like thriving and in, in that there's a lot of surfboards being made but there's very few people coming up like young guys are like oh i want to build surfboards for a living like there really aren't like there aren't very many groms that like like oh that want to build boards yeah, no, for the whatever groms, reasons the, the groms battle out like before they they want to move up too fast like it, you always get groms into the factory and it's like you get them to do stuff and then all of a sudden they're like oh well i want to do like i want to be a shaper i want to be a glass owner it's like you've been doing this for like sweeping the floor for six months like <laughs> yeah and then like you give them a job to do that's like a step up and then they know like most of them like start to cut corners on that job a little bit like to get mm. it done faster because i want to and then like and then they're like yeah i want to do something else and then it's like well you're not even doing the job we're giving you properly and then like <laughs> yeah. next thing you know they're just like um oh, going to do concreting with dad like all right so yeah <laughs> i mean the guys that are coming up it's everyone wants to be a shaper because that's those yeah, are the guys so that are getting all the glory well. you know like they're the ones that are like the face of of whatever the brand is like oh he's a shaper but yeah but like the unsung heroes are the classers and the sanders and the, you know everyone else like without them like there wouldn't be a surfboard you know well, your shit is the first time i've ever not looked at who the shaper is of the surfboard <laughs> right, yeah. you know what i mean yeah, yeah. Like, i think you're you are the first guy to me where i was like holy fuck there's like gnarly glass dudes that like actually take well i don't know if there's more than you but it's like here's this dude that's like stolen the spotlight that yeah. is normally reserved for the guy with the logo. Yeah. And yeah. to me, like even um Statsy and and yeah. Joel. Yeah. Like that they didn't tell me who shaped their boards. They yeah. told me that you glassed them. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like that's cool. I still don't yeah. know who's, who shaped their boards. But yeah. that to me is like I think that That's rare, dude. There's maybe like three dudes, maybe four that come to mind that there the glass job is like a brand in itself you know what mm. i mean where it's like and it's like distinguishable you can pick it out of a, a other board just based on like you know the color work like you can be like oh yeah that was so and so did that you know like oh that was mad chokes board you can usually tell like a lot of the marbling and stuff that he does that's pretty like unique to him mm. right there's only maybe like two other guys that that or maybe three that uh that have that you know and that's in the world you know and there's it's fucking crazy yeah, you like, know there's a handful of guys yeah that i obviously know they're the same sort of thing like you know them for their glassing like and you know they could do anyone's board 
and you see it and you're like fuck that's you know that guy you know yeah. so it's it's kind of cool to be held in that yeah in that category of those guys obviously because yeah you know well again it's just like you can't fake that shit like yeah. the cream rises yeah. to the top in those situations like you can't but you can't skip any steps and get those accolades yeah right yeah, that's it. it's yeah, man, it's 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 like it's interesting. To, it's interesting to see where where it's gonna go. Like you know, like what what the future of, of board building will be. If there's no one coming up to replace place these guys, like you know, other than like you know our generation, there's a few. You know, maybe a couple that I was just talking about. But everyone else is like in their sixties, fifties, sixties, and they're all like, you know, they're not gonna be able to be able to work in that. Everyone's like my dad's age. Like they're not gonna be working that much longer. You know only so much he only worked for so long and then once those guys are gone like i don't know who's going to be there to replace them kind of thing you know what i mean like there's going to be this huge hole in 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 the industry so it'll be interesting to see like what but that breeds opportunity man yeah Yeah. like you look at i got a friend that's a a, like a property developer it's like the industry changes and you can either be the old head that, that wants to stay doing it the way that he's always done it because it works or you could be like that young new dude that uses Instagram to promote his shit and actually like dude it was fucking inspiring watching you shape a board like that yesterday it was like a time warp I felt <laughs> like I was I felt like I was watching like a on any Sunday board being shaped that was back then like yeah, yeah. a dude in like a garage in Malibu when all this shit was originally happening but it wasn't it was in 2019 with a young you know cause <laughs> yeah, like yeah. you just don't it, it just doesn't that's not the visual you get when you think of a surfboard shaping now and it's so dominated by like these big names and then when you get someone that comes in and does it the way that you do it it's like such a throwback but with this modern twist like it was inspiring and it made me want to surf that board <laughs> and that's probably why you haven't a level of success in the industry and you know people want to watch you ride and surf and shape and you know yeah. companies want to be aligned with you like it's a fucking That's cool thing sucks me up so much about forest stuff you know what i mean because it's just not because my dad was a shaper as well you know what i mean so i grew up around all that and just from that time of everyone hand shaping all their own stuff and you could only make as many boards as you could physically make yourself like, yeah because you couldn't just go oh can you go shape this board for me because it's going to come out completely different because you have to make the thing by hand like hand shape the entire design so nowadays people can just get it machine cut and give it to someone and they can dust over it and it's going to be basically the same board yeah regardless of who skimmed over it with the fucking with the pad at the end and cleaned it up you know what i mean so like coming across someone like forest was it was not only was it cool he's still hand shaped and like obviously his dad was a shaper and he was making epic boards and the sort of stuff that I love too because I grew up, you know, liking... I like everything old school anyway. I like old bikes, old cars, old yeah. boards, old everything. I just I don't know why. I'm just drawn to that old school everything. So, like, his boards are epic. He's hand-shaping all of them. Like, it's rare to, you know, to come across someone as young as Forrest is mm. that still has that grassroots like element about him doing his boards he's obviously like he says he wants to get to a thousand boards so that's a thousand boards shaped by hand you know and how many waves ridden is that 
Who knows? A thousand boards. <laughs> a thousand boards. Well, like, how many fucking waves is that that those things are caught? We were talking about it the other day, and he was saying his dad still just handshapes all his boards, yeah. all his mouths and everything. And what was he up to? Something ridiculous. Yeah, my dad. So he, uh, he started keeping, I'm pretty sure he started keeping track in the 80s, early 80s. He's been shaving since the early 70s. And uh, he had shaped, I believe he shaped about, since he started keeping track, um, he's like pushing 20,000 boards. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and he just. That's why when it. I, when you, and you're like, oh, a thousand, that's a lot. And I'm like, ah. Well. He looks at that, he's like, 500. <laughs> you barely know That's like a year's worth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's from a time, obviously, when they couldn't yeah. just pump him out on a machine. So it's like, oh, fuck, if, we're, if we've got to shape fucking. 30 boards this week we got to shave we got to shave 30 boards yeah like you know they're doing five a day like and that was that was standard like you know five a day like they were the production line yeah Yeah. that was you just most of them all fuck shoulders yeah (laughs) yeah but uh yeah i mean it's it's crazy it's 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 definitely like i said it's a dying dying art dying trade for sure but well, I'm glad there's uh, I'm glad there's dudes <laughs> like you two out there, and uh, I'm glad I got that mic sorted. That was a that was a good idea midway through. <laughs> Should have done that from the start, but uh, but uh, yeah, thanks, man. I'm I'm glad that you were able to fit this in. I know you've been pretty busy. Hopefully, we can get um, this team Gypsy Tales going for the uh, Dana Dirt. Be pretty keen to make that up. Gypsy Tales A team. Yeah, right. well, that, it's the only team. <laughs> the G team, um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I really, it's fucking cool. Like, you honestly have a really cool story, and yeah, man, like it's inspiring. It definitely, just being in the room with you yesterday inspired me to surf more and to yeah, maybe like pay a bit more attention to what exactly is getting ridden and and uh, just commitment to a lifestyle as well. And yeah. it's not easy all the time to do what you're doing, so. I um, appreciate you coming on. Chuck. Thanks. Appreciate Thanks you being here as well. Yeah. And uh, this won't be the last time we do one of these together. So yeah. maybe post day in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. We'll get you down to good. Costa Rica. Dude, yeah, I'm actually keen for that. And then that slide toba. Yeah, Bali. Just go like... Dude, just keep Bali it alive. Trip. There's two... Yeah, I need, a, I need a surf trip, dude. Like, seriously, I've never been on a surf <laughs> trip in my life. I need to do that. So, yeah. that'd be That'd be the spot. Costa Rica would be actually be the... the you'd have... What's it called? The left there? Pavones. Pavones. Yeah, Pavones is a Let me ask that way. shit. Dude, that is the spot. That's where one of the boys... Do you know Enoch Harris? No. Uh, he was a producer on the Fox thing. He 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 actually produced that Andy Irons doco. was like one oh, of the producers yeah. on that. But um, he worked at Fox for like a brief time, but he used to work at Billabong for ages. Mm. But um, yeah, he's a goofy footer as well. And we shot that Fox thing and he's like, dude, you should have changed your flight to come to Pavone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I just couldn't do it. I didn't yeah. have boards and shit. But um but yeah, well that's like always been he just said, that's dude, like it's the, that's the left yeah. that you want to surf. You'll you'll in one wave probably have more actual like actual surfing time in one wave than you would in a whole month maybe surfing, you know, a beach break or something. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. That's what I need in yeah. my life. It's a long wave. And Costa Rica's sick. We obviously covered it, but it's fuck it's a beautiful yeah. country, so I'm I'm keen. I'll be there. I'll be there if you want me there for sure. You'll be there. Sweet. All right, boys. All right, All man. right mate. Thanks you. for having us. Thanks, boys. I don't know how long that was. Holy fuck, it's nine thirty. Is it really? Jesus Christ. How long was that? Oh, three and a half hours. Was it?
All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. That was a really fun one. Um, yeah, man, that we lost track of time in that that one for sure. Uh, yeah, big thanks to Chook. Big thanks to Forrest. Uh, I want to get Chook on again at some point. He sends it on a moto. Uh, like we said in the podcast, his glassing work is just phenomenal. Um, so he's a very, very cool guy. Very nice guy. And uh, he's into a lot of the same stuff as me. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty keen to get him on and have a yarn. But Forrest took priority on this one because he is piecing out uh, back to the States and then to south africa and then bali and costa rica doing doing what he does uh so yeah thank you very much for listening uh you can subscribe to this itunes uh account or spotify wherever you get these you can subscribe to us on youtube we've been putting a ton of effort into that and you can also send me a message on instagram if you want to have a uh, have a yarn at gypsy tales podcast thank you very much and we will be back very soon you still there rick look around you can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.